0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door.
1: WAPG. It's the
0: Airline Pilot Guy.
1: Airline Pilot Guy, episode 436. Yeah,
0: he's up in the sky. It's the Airline
1: Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 29th of July, 2020. In today's episode, a Smart Wings captain hides an engine failure from controller so he can continue to his destination. Three people die in Germany when a plane hits a hot air balloon. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, the son of Enola Tibbet. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 436 is ready for pushback.
2: Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff. (laughs) I'm Captain Jeff. Or if you're Nigel, I'm Captain Jeff. a, a, A captain at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today, from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, is Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Are you sure you know who you are? This week? I don't know who I
3: am. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great to be back on the show with you, just the and me again.
2: Excellent. All right. And excellent uh, intro music by one of our APG community members, Kevsky in Norway. Thank you very much for that. All right. Um, let's go ahead and get right on into the news. And by on news, okay. The first item in our news notebook is Congress passes bills to study military pilot cancers from McClatchy Washington Bureau. A little bit late on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn you! Yeah, I, I did. I wasn't going to say anything, but okay. Uh, the Department of Defense would be required to identify how many of the current or former aviators have been diagnosed with cancer in bills passed by the House and Senate this week a study long sought by military pilots who have questioned why there are so many serious illnesses in their community. The legislation was included in both chambers versions of the 740 billion fiscal year 2021 National Defense Authorization Act following a series of stories by McClatchy on the alarming clusters of cancer among current or former military aviators. I'm one of those including four commanding officers at a premier Navy weapons testing base in California who have died of cancer since 2015. Oh, let me clarify. I'm not one of those that has been diagnosed with cancer, but I am a former military aviator. Uh, Two versions of the 2021 spending bill will now go to uh, House and Senate negotiators to iron out differences before being sent to President Donald Trump to be signed into law. Betty Seaman, the wife of one of the four commanding officers at Naval Air Weapons Station China Lake, who died of cancer, welcomed the important milestone. She says, "Since loving or since losing, I'm sure she loved him too. Since losing my husband, I have met too many other families on the same unwanted journey. We all share a universal prayer that no other family will have to go through a similar loss. Today brings us one step closer to that realization." Uh, Miss Seaman said in an email to McClatchy. "What? Well, that's a great name. Her uh, husband's name uh, was a co- uh, Commander." Seaman, S-E-A-M-A-N, and he is a a naval officer. Wow. That was a meant to be.
3: If he was in Canada, he'd now be a sailor.
2: Oh. So his last name wouldn't be changed. I believe
3: they're getting rid of seaman (laughs) because of the obvious connotations. That's what she said. Yes. uh, Changing the uh, position to uh, being a
2: sailor. Okay. Um, let's see Senator Diane Feinstein uh, from California introduced the Military Aviators Cancer Incident Study Act after McClatchy reported that military aviators may be at a higher risk of developing certain cancers. Uh, let's see, uh, there was a little bit of information here. The database would include every service member since 1961 who served in an aviator role. The legislation defines aviators as members of the air crew, such as pilots and—oh, nav- they included navigators in there, too. Huh. And uh, members of the well, ground crew. They're usually asleep, aren't they? <laughs> I, I did that on purpose, because we have several navigators <laughs> that listen to the show. And um, let's see, who should we uh, I'm offended at airlinepilotguy.com is the email address. That's the one. <laughs> And members of the ground crew who worked on the aircraft pilots who have been lobbying for the legislation wanted to ensure that ground crew, such as enlisted personnel who worked to launch jets on aircraft carriers, were included because they were exposed to many of the same radar emissions or fuels. The bill requires the database to be completed within a year. So I guess they're assuming that the radar emissions and fuel and these jets have something to do with this uh, with these uh, cancers. Uh, anyway, so that's good um, that they're doing this, and I guess that uh, I will be contacted at some point uh, to probably fill out, yeah to fill out some kind of a survey regarding my health.
3: I, I don't suppose they're going to do everyone, are they? They're probably going to
2: just go take yeah. a sample. I don't know
3: um, a sample of the semen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know, I I've been resisting playing this but <laughs> where is that Oh shoot i can't find it <laughs> you're Good. lucky Good.
3: <laughs> um, funny i'll think you know um this has always this has been a rumor uh, in m- the military as far as as long as i've been in aviation uh that uh you know you sit uh, as the pilot the navigator more so the pilot I mean, directly behind Mm -hmm. a very powerful uh, radar scanner. Now, of course, the scanner's pointing away from you, but we all know that uh, if you look at the uh, lobes of emission Mm -hmm. out of a radar scanner, one of the most significant is the back beam, which comes directly out of the scanner in the wrong direction, uh, which, of course, is going backwards and forwards for hours on end. Um, Right on your body there's nothing much between you and it Uh, there's obviously some you know punks of electronics and instrument panels and things but quite honestly it's only like a few feet away Uh, so uh, we always wondered about that but uh, it was all you know very much rumored Uh, no one really had any data to go by and uh, certainly in this country, I don't think the military were too keen to look at it too closely no, in case they found that Understand. there was a connection. And then, of course, you've got to do something about it. That's right.
2: Hmm.
3: No, I, I prefer Siemens.
2: So, uh, <laughs>
3: <laughs> Well, actually, I quite like sailors. <laughs> That's what we've heard.
2: Um, so <laughs> well, we're not going to get personal here on the, on the show. This no, is the no, news segment. Not, no, no, Maybe we? in the getting to know us portion of the show possibly we can get into it uh so i think if i read this correctly i'm I'm trying to scan through this article very quickly um i think yeah the database would include every service member since 1961 who served in an aviator
3: right okay that's going to be a
2: big uh, achievement if they manage to do that so i'll let you know if i receive something in the mail uh, a survey or whatever
3: yeah Absolutely. Well, so that's good news, though. And uh, in the meantime, go and uh, see your doctor, and he'll insert his finger and give you a checkover, which would be very sensible. Yes.
2: All right. Let's move on to the next. Smart Wing Seven Thirty Seven Captain hid his engine failure to continue flight to Prague. <laughs> Czech investigators have revealed that a Boeing 737-800 captain misled air traffic control over a serious engine failure and ignored the first officers urging a diversion in order to press on to Prague at the flight's original destination. Investigation Authority, UZPLN, have no idea what that stands for, uh, states that the captain's poor decision making, disregarding several crucial aspects, including the fuel situation, endangered the Smart Wings flight from Greece's Samos Airport on 22nd August last year. About 20 minutes after takeoff, the aircraft reached 36,000 feet. Its left-hand CFM International CFM-56 engine began to lose power and flame out. The first officer who was flying knew the aircraft needed to reduce altitude quickly and sought assistance from the captain to advise air traffic control. But rather than making a pan-pan emergency call, the captain delayed communicating and then merely informed controllers of a technical problem. The aircraft remained at 36,000 feet, its airspeed declining to 226 knots for about two minutes before it commenced a descent to 24,000 feet. So we all know as uh, jet transport operators that if you're flying at 36,000 feet in a twin-engine airplane and you lose one of those power units, uh, the first thing you do is figure out uh, the appropriate altitude to descend to uh, for uh, optimum single-engine flight, and it's always below (laughs) the altitude you are currently at, unless you're really, really super light. Um, So... Um yeah, the airspeed kept dropping off, and uh, two minutes later, they commenced the descent to 24,000 feet. As the 737 descended, its airspeed increased to 310 knots, needed to attempt a windmill start restart of the engine, but that was success- unsuccessful. After, or about 10 minutes later, after a second restart attempt was performed using cross-bled compressed air, uh, oh, so they tried it again, this time uh, using cross-bleed air, while the crew reported the shutdown of the engine to its operations control, the captain did not advise any air traffic center of the engine failure. And that's a requirement, by the way, leaving controllers unaware that the 737 was proceeding to Prague at 24,000 feet on just one engine. The jet passed through the airspace of Greece, North Macedonia, Serbia, Hungary, and Austria before entering the Prague flight information region. At which point, the crew transmitted a pan-pan emergency call. A little bit of a delayed action. Uh, Notifying controllers of the single-engine operation and seeking a shortcut to land. UZPLN found the crew had planned to avoid refueling in Samos by carrying sufficient fuel for the return trip to Prague. The aircraft had 9,460 kilograms of fuel on board after landing at Samos, and the onboard systems indicated that 9,217 kilograms was required for the return. But the engine failure and the lower altitude affected the fuel calculations. The inquiry says the captain did not perform the proper performance calculation to determine single-engine cruise altitude capability, which would have given a level of 22,000 feet. So when they descended, they didn't descend down far enough. When the 737 landed at Prague, it had 2,435 kilograms of fuel on board, just 23 kilograms above the reserve fuel figure. And remember, they had... They were carrying a bunch of extra fuel so they wouldn't have to refuel to go back. So,
3: Yeah, quick maths was they burnt seven tons more than they uh, would have otherwise.
2: Yeah, that's huge. Mm. Uh, The investigation catalogued several hazardous decisions by the captain, stating that he concealed the engine failure to several air traffic centers and ignored rules to transmit a pan-pan emergency message, which would have enabled controllers to resolve possible traffic conflicts in an area of airspace where reduced, reduced vertical separation minima applied, UZPLN describes a toxic cockpit atmosphere. The highly experienced captain, with over 8,000 hours on the type, failed to follow cockpit resource management principles to solve the problem. He did not discuss safety issues of the situation with the first officer, who had nearly 2,500 hours on the 73, but instead used the steep authority agra- gradient to push through his poor decisions.
3: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning there that the toxic cockpit atmosphere doesn't refer to the air that breathing. That might have something to do with it. it. I mean, it's an unfortunate choice of words there because it's quite likely on some aircraft you could get toxic
2: uh, atmosphere in the cockpit. I guess they were talking more (laughs) metaphorically or figuratively rather than. Yeah, I personally
3: would have tried to avoid that
2: phrase. Probably a good idea. There you go. And I and this I, and maybe it's just a language thing, but an enormous power gradient. I'd never refer to somebody's um, improper CRM as a power gradient, but oh, whatever.
3: I mean, the, the authority gradient is a uh, reasonably well recognized term. Oh, okay. uh, if yeah, uh, you know, for example, you might say that uh, in Japan, the captain uh, is considered. Uh, to have the final word on everything, there is a steep authority mm-hmm.
2: gradient. Okay. I've never heard that term used uh, okay. myself. Okay. Uh, the first officer did not contradict the captain's decision to proceed to Prague over concerns that this would worsen the crew cooperation necessary to complete the flight. Uh, so, you know, if the captain, you know, we've talked about this before in uh, previous episodes about uh, proper. You know, atmosphere in the in the cockpit, and somebody asked a new first officer was asking about you know how do you deal with some of these captains that aren't uh, the oh. the easiest to fly with, and so here's here's some um, proof that uh, the the atmosphere that the captain set up by his toxic you know uh, power gradient <laughs> enormous power gradient <laughs> um, it was such that the first officer decided it's not worth even trying to you know. Contradict the captain's decision because, uh, based on my previous experience, uh, it's not going to do any good. So, and it, so that which is very sad yeah.
3: because uh, everyone on the flight deck should be uh, open to um, hearing other people's opinions, including how might add the first officer. Uh, if you've got a good point to make, make it, and then you discuss uh, your options uh, and whether that's a valid. A point or not um and but v- eventually someone's got to come up with the the decision you and i both know that well, a twin engine airplane when you lose an engine you look for the nearest um suitable diversion uh so uh you know the first officer i think was right so
2: mm-hmm.
3: he's he's in the good boy court uh, and the captain is
2: pushing his luck yes uh, the captain defended his thinking to the inquiry, de- testifying that he believed his flight experience had been broad enough to assess all the risks associated with his decisions. And at some point, I don't see it right now, but I thought I read that uh, he was also, um, yeah, he was a flight instructor and had examiner qualifications and a senior position within the airline. So, yeah. Yeah you know, I'm sure that
3: all those three are going to make it very hard for the first officer to get his point across.
2: Yep. So it sounds to me it doesn't really say here um, what kind of punishment may have been uh, doled out, but um, I would imagine that there would be something, some kind of a, you know, uh, an effect or uh, whatever the word is.
3: Well, I don't know what officially um, the authority can do within the airline. There should be something yeah, happening, I don't think. So. But if he's a senior management pilot, then you maybe not. Uh, then you do wonder if
2: anything is going to happen. Probably not. I hate to be skeptical, but probably yeah, not. Likewise. Consequence—that was the word I was looking for. Uh, uh,
3: and you know, it's very interesting with this um, because. We've got something that rather amplifies uh, the importance of the first officer trying to get his point across in our very last news item for this particular aircraft type. Yep. I don't know if you want to go straight there. We could
2: do that, actually. Uh, Speaking of 737 engine failures, are we talking about Mm. the uh, FAA issuing an emergency airworthiness directive? Yeah. 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 So this just happened a couple of days ago. We are recording the show on the 29th. This was issued by the FAA on the 23rd of July. Um, Emergency Airworthiness Directive AD 2020-16-51 is sent to owners and operators of the Boeing Company Model 737-300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 700C, uh, 800, 900, and 900ER series airplanes. So basically, all of the 737s (laughs) that are operating right now except the MAX, and that's not operating right now, so... Um, this emergency AD was prompted by four recent reports of single-engine shutdowns due to engine bleed air fifth-stage check valves being stuck open. Corrosion of the engine bleed air third uh, fifth-stage check valve internal parts during airplane storage may cause the valve to stick in the open position. If this valve opens normally at takeoff power, it may become stuck in the open position during flight and fail to close when power is reduced at top of descent, resulting in an unrecoverable compressor stall and the inability to restart the engine. Corrosion of these valves on both engines could result in a dual-engine power loss without the ability to restart. This condition, if not addressed, could result in compressor stalls and dual-engine power loss. Did I just read that? Um, hmm. uh, they just stated it again. read something very similar. Yeah. Um, without the ability to restart, which could result in a forced off airport landing, the uh,
3: FAA. Yeah, <laughs> you mean a crash landing. Yeah, but right, we let's not let's not call it right.
2: Kind of like a miracle on the Hudson. That was a that was a forced yeah. off airport landing. Um, the FAA is issuing this because they uh, evaluated all the relevant information and determined the unsafe c- condition described previously is likely to exist or developed in other products of the same type design. Uh, so the, this requires the airlines that operate these airplanes with these engines the uh, uh, inspecting the uh, bleed air fifth stage check valve on each engine and replacement of the engine bleed air fifth stage check valve if any inspection is not passed. Uh, so let's see... Yeah. So as it mentioned, I think at the beginning, uh, it was prompted by four recent reports of single engine shutdowns caused by these check valves getting stuck in the open position. And they think it has something. Basically, they're saying if if the airplane has been stored like more than seven days is what they call being stored and the airplanes have not flown, I think, was it 10 flights or 10 hours, 10 or fewer flight cycles since returning to service from the most recent period of storage, then they are required to um, have these inspections completed just to make sure that these things don't get stuck and you end up having one engine to work with.
3: Yeah. Uh, These valves are fairly simple. Uh, They're just a a spring-loaded flapper valve. Uh, I think it's two halves of them, so they work like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, people may not realize but the reason we have two sets of bleeds uh, off the engine, which obviously feed to the pneumatic system, which does many jobs in the airplane, one of which is to pressurize the aircraft. So that's where the air comes from that uh, eventually feeds into through the air conditioning system into the, into the fuselage and pressurizes. Um, during low power settings, uh, you have one that is back on the ninth stage, which is further in the engine where higher pressure air is. So at a low power setting, you can still get good pressure from the night stage uh, uh, feed. Uh, but uh, when you're at higher power settings, uh, you don't need all that air blasting. Uh, you can shut that one off and just pick it from the low pressure side because uh, with the engine at high power, you're getting quite sufficient air from there. Uh, what happens is quite naturally is when you're taking it from the high pressure side, the air. Uh, goes to the back of that valve and closes it so that it feeds back into the um, pneumatic system and doesn't go into the engine uh, further near the front where the uh, fifth stage is. Now, if the fifth stage valve doesn't close, then it's quite likely you're going to get high-pressure air from the ninth stage going all the way through the system. Well, it's not actually all the way through this. It's quite a short path, mm-hmm. uh through to the fifth stage system and blasting in there and that has a a, you know good chance of uh, really upsetting the airflow going through that and uh, causing a surge or stall Uh, and that's as i understand it how um, this particular engine series of engine failures has been occurring now uh, I only did a very quick bit of uh, research into this, so there may be uh, more knowledge out there. Oh, that wasn't so just off the top of the your head. Yeah. Oh. more or less. Okay. Excellent.
2: Um,
3: but I did manage to get a look at a guy who was holding a valve up on.
2: Bigger, oh, okay. I've never seen imagine. one of those uh, flapper valves.
3: Of course, uh, if the same problem happens on both engines, you've got a double engine failure, and hence. Uh, as relating this back to the previous story you really should not having had an engine failure you really should continue your flight onto destination unless it's very close right Um, because if you have one engine failure that fault may be seen in the other engine uh, and uh, then you end up turning yourself into a glider
2: yep and you don't want that to happen uh, usually doesn't work out well uh, there are only a handful that I can think of of instances with dual engine flame outs or all engine flame outs that uh were successful outcomes uh Rich from Sheffield yeah. says um let 's see following the boeing a d relating to what you are talking about does Airbus have anything to say now are you is he talking about you, Captain Nick, or the company Airbus <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I'm certainly not a boss anymore, so I'm presuming we're referring to Airbus. Yeah. I haven't seen the thing. I guess it would but, depend
2: uh, on the, uh, the, I guess they're talking about the uh, the CFM-56 engines. And I'm,
3: well, I'm assume, I they don't say the engine type. They don't. This. Now, I don't know if these marks all have cfm 56 I think and they and there's do. There's no other engine type on the 737. I think If that's the case. I think that's then the case. Okay. And that in which case, uh, uh, you know, the A320 uses CFM 56s. Yeah. The, the first A340 variant that I flew had the CFM 56s. Right. So uh, it may be that this is a, a Boeing component and that uh, Airbus uh, have designed a different style of one and a different system. Uh, that is possible, but I don't know. Yeah. To be truthful.
2: Yeah. I have not seen anything regarding as, as, Captain Nick mentioned they really don't say in this maybe they just assume that everybody knows that the uh, all of these uh, 737 models use the uh, CFM56. I could be wrong about that but I'm pretty sure that they don't have any uh, variants like m- a lot most of the other airplanes you know you can you can put a GE on it a CFM a uh, uh international aero Whitney, engines Pratt and Whitney etc. A Rola. yeah yeah
3: Um, It may, I mean, I would have assumed the EAD would have included Airbus models if they were susceptible to the same problem, Hmm. because it's got a whole list of airplanes there. Why wouldn't they include the Airbus ones? Uh, I don't uh, know.
2: Yeah, it seems like it'd be more of an engine-related, engine-specific type of thing and yeah. not a an airplane yeah. specific so that's, that's but been... i'm
3: fishing in the dark here so I'm not yeah sure. i'm
2: not either um uh, so maybe somebody can uh send us some feedback and and let us know what what's what's up with that mm. all right um getting back to the See sea yeah okay um in germany uh three are dead as a plane hits a hot air balloon and crashes into homes this is from uh, sky.com. The light aircraft started a fire after plunging into a building in the German city of Wesel, uh, around 35 miles north of Düsseldorf. That's W-E-S-E-L. And I'm going to say it's Wesel, but I don't know. Could be wrong. Um, a plane is thought to have collided with a hot air balloon shortly before it crashed into, part, into an apartment block, killing three people and injuring a child. Fire was started when the aircraft hit the building in the German German city, around 35 miles north of Dusseldorf, or Dusseldorf. Uh, witnesses told local media the plane had hit the balloon before coming down. Okay, how many times are we gonna say that? <laughs> um, there are some pictures of, of the uh, building, the apartment that it, uh, building that it hit, and uh, the uh, fire brigade um, coming out in response. Um, the aircraft was capable of carrying two people, but police say it's not yet clear how many people were on board. And the dead have not been identified. The child hurt in the accident is said to have suffered only minor injuries. Um, they said what they know so far is that an ultralight aircraft crashed into a residential building. Uh, our first inspection of the house, three dead bodies were found in the attic. We cannot give any information as to their identities at the moment. So I guess somebody in the building, I mean, somebody could have been in the building up in the attic. Um, maybe that was like a living level uh attic level and not like just a storage level of the building um possible there may have been one or two um people aboard the ultralight it's only a two-place airplane so not sure uh where the other body must have been in the apartment building uh so
3: i'm guessing yeah yeah. i mean there must be a lot of fire involved uh really because you know you've got an airplane full of fuel and you've uh, believe with uh, canisters of gas. So uh, that's going to be a significant problem.
2: Yeah. So if we hear anything about this, any follow-up, uh, or if you, listener, hear any follow-up, please let us know. And then we'll, uh, we'll let you know what they've uh, determined. And,
3: of course, we just have to remind everyone that there is a bit like being uh, at sea. There's a definite order of priority as to who has right of way. And um, uh, it's, you know, just like being on the ocean, it's sail before steam. Uh, so if you're flying something that can't be guided, like a hot air balloon, it's completely up to the pilot of the ultralight or light aircraft or whatever to take avoiding action and go around it. So I'm good, just going to say a balloon's a big piece of kit. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was going on here,
2: I asked myself. Yeah, like how could the ultralight not see the hot air balloon? I mean, they're pretty conspicuous.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only possible uh, thing is that the visibility might have been poor. And uh, we're all trained because, uh, uh, you know, of our background as hunter-gatherers, to see things that move. Uh, mm-hmm. Our peripheral vision is really highly acute if we see something that is darting away. Mm-hmm. So it's relatively easy to see some uh, another aircraft that's moving fast across the sky. Balloon is a fairly stationary object, mm-hmm. and it is possible for it to blend into the background. And if you're diverted from looking out the front where you ought to be looking, in fact, looking all, all around to be fair, uh, and playing with your iPad or something. And I'm not suggesting this is what happened, yeah. but you shouldn't allow your attention to be diverted to some other function in the cockpit mm-hmm. for more than a few seconds, and particularly if you're on your own on the aircraft and you're not looking out uh, while you're doing that. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. And also, if you've got a passenger in the aircraft with you and you're going to do something, just do the sensible thing, which is to say, look, I'm going to go heads in for a while. Will you take responsibility for looking out of the windows mm-hmm. and just tell me if you see something that we might bump into rather than ignoring them? And inevitably, their attention will be drawn to what you're doing. So yeah. now you're both looking in. I've seen it happen with professional pilots over and over again. You know, one of us will be typing something. In the flight management system, and now the pilot immediately looks down and watches what he's doing. Now Ooh, you're both staring yes, at it. <laughs> well, yes,
2: I know what you're talking about. It just bugs the okay. H E double L out of me. <laughs> it really Good. does. Sometimes I'll actually used to I'll be typing history. something and then I'll look up and you know, and the person that I'm flying with is looking down at the screen that I'm typing, and I just stop and I start looking out the window. You know, and the, and then. That person looks away and then I start again. I mean, it's like, why? You don't need to look and see exactly what I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I'm doing. Uh, I'll let you read it before I send it. Or, you know, if I'm doing something in the FMS, you know, it's, I guess it's just human nature, but like, don't, don't do it.
3: It is, but a a well-disciplined crew won't do that. Right, A well-disciplined crew will uh, do exactly what I just suggested. Mm -hmm. One will go heads in, the other will be heads out. And if, if you're, if you're really good, you won't even have to say anything. Right. But I would, if I was flying the airplane, I would just say, "I'm just going heads in for a minute," or I might even hand control mm-hmm. over to the other guy, yep. so that now he's flying the airplane, he feels obliged to. He
2: has the airplane, he has the, the radios, and I'm just going to focus yep. on this. Yeah. But yeah. guess what? Was they'll probably, probably eight times out of ten, they'll still. Watch still watch <laughs> 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 I guarantee it. Oh man, yeah, I should probably, okay. you know, I, I've never have briefed that, but maybe I should start briefing that and saying, look, just don't, just don't do that. And don't say potable water, just <laughs> say potable water, please. Because <laughs> that's another one of my <laughs> pet peeves. Um, yes, oh, Lane you. Street, by the way, uh, in the previous um, airworthiness directive, we were talking about uh, the engine types on the three, and he says, yes, all three sevens. Actually, all Tree 7s have CFM-56 engines, and they are different variants than those used in other aircraft. And actually, Lane is being correct when he says Tree 7s That's the way we're supposed to say the number 3 over the radio, although very few people actually do it. Kind of sounds odd, but um, yep, Um, so that makes sense. And because there are different variants, maybe that's why uh, none of the Airbuses are affected in the uh, AD. Yeah, that may, that may well be the case. Okay, jumping all around here. Uh, let's continue on. This one, I'm really interested um, what uh, Nick is going to say about this particular sit- uh, this incident because um, he has a lot of experience with um, performing airborne intercepts. Uh, so let's start off by reading the headline, Iranian Mahan A-313 over Syria on the 23rd of July. 2020 Upset as a result of intercept by U.S. F-15 fighters. A Mahan Airbus A310-300, registration Echo Papa Mike November Foxtrot, performing flight 1152 from Tehran uh, to Beirut, was en route at flight level 340 about 160 nautical miles east of Beirut in Syrian airspace near the Triangle Syria, Jordan, and Iraq. When the crew performed an abrupt maneuver to avoid two fighter aircraft and climbed the aircraft at least 600 feet, the aircraft subsequently returned to flight level 340, requested uh, medical assistance for the arrival at Beirut, and continued to Beirut for a landing without further incident. A number of passengers needed medical assistance, according to the first paragraph of this from the Aviation Herald. Reports as to what fighter aircraft caused the upset are unclear at this point of the investigation, but they Soon found out that they were um, U.S. F-15s. I guess at first there was some kind of report that they thought it was Israeli aircraft. Um, medical services, uh, the Red Cross in Beirut, reported no passengers needed to be taken to a hospital. A number uh, was treated. A uh, number was treated mainly for shock. In the early morning hours of July 24th, uh, 2020, uh, CENTCOM, the U.S. Central Military Command, reported that one F 15 was on a routine mission over southern Syria near the Al Tanf garrison in southern Syria, located about 12 nautical miles east of the 16:14:43. 43, that's a time position of the aircraft and was dispatched to conduct an inspection of the airliner to ensure safety of coalition personnel at Al-Tanf. When the F-15 identified the aircraft as a passenger plane, the F-15 maintained a safe distance of about 1,000 meters. The intercept was done in accordance with international standards. However, it appears it caused the Iranian pilots to carry out a sudden and unexpected altitude change. Al-Tanf garrison is located at—let me give some coordinates— uh, when the A313 was at flight level 346, the aircraft was at position blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. You'd have to look at a, uh, a uh, an image to see these different positions that they're referring to.
3: Yeah, I don't think they're particularly relevant other than what airspace they're Exactly.
2: In. So so this thing apparently um, kind of drifted from its core. Well, I have a – there's some pictures in here that you can look at in the um, show notes um, – Also from another source uh, that we use on occasion here called The Drive, a military um, news source. Um, It says, new details emerge about an F-15 intercept of Iranian Airbus over Syria. American officials now say that the Iranian airliner drifted from the established air route through the area and did not identify itself when prompted. Um, The U.S. Air Force F-15 only came within 5,000 feet of an Airbus A310 airliner. According to the U.S., Uh, they have also stated that the Air Mahan Flight 1152 appeared to deviate from the established flight route and did not respond at radio calls to identify itself while passing over a strategic or flying over a strategic garrison near the city of At Tanf, according to this article, that U.S. backed Syrian forces operate, prompting the intercept in the first place. Um, So that's basically. The setup here, Uh, Captain Nick. uh, The F 15's on a mission. They say, Hey, looks like there's an airliner that's kind of drifting off their course, getting kind of close to the garrison. Would you go check it out? So they started their intercept procedures. And I'm not sure exactly what happened with the Iranian 310 crew, but perhaps they were startled by the F 15's presence and. Uh, they just had their natural reaction was just to yank on the yoke. And yes, it is an Airbus, but it's a three hundred and ten, which does have a traditional uh, yoke. If I'm not mistaken. Yes, you're quite right. Um, so what do you, what and, do you think uh, of this? I mean, you, you have a lot of experience with this sort of thing.
3: Well, to be fair, all the intercepts I did uh, were pre TCAS. So yeah. it wasn't a factor that we had to take in, uh, into account. Um, having said that, Whenever we operated uh, close to another aircraft, we always put our transponders to standbys because um, two transponders very close together will garble the signal and the controller will get poor information. So we would naturally do that anyway. Uh, But I don't know what the standard procedures for the F-15s are. Um, What sounds like to me is that they were asked to go and identify this aircraft, and uh, they um, came in and did what would be a normal intercept. Uh, I don't think they turned their transponders uh, to standby so that the TCAS system would have been operating. And although had they been coming in level uh, without uh, any altitude changes, the F-15s I'm referring to, they could have uh, come between sort of five and 3,000 feet below or above. Uh, or sufficiently wide from the aircraft to see it and identify it, and uh, um, all would have been well. The pilot probably wouldn't even known they were there yeah. um, uh, unless he was looking at his TCAS display. Uh, if they turned off their uh, transponders and uh, come in, he would never have probably known. But what I suspect is um, TCAS is a very clever system. Uh, it, it can look at your rate of climb and descent and uh, if there's a possibility, even though you might be thousands of feet away, if there's a possibility that if you persist in that climb towards you, the, the, tar- the target, the aircraft uh, who's um, you're approaching, um, if you continue it and there's a chance of collision, it'll give a TCAS warning uh, because of the radar climb. Uh, and uh, it, I suspect that's probably what happened. One of the F-15s may have um, just uh, had a short climb or descent. That was uh, quite normal for him, a fighter. But the TCAS system saw, whoa, this guy's coming barreling up at me, um, not realizing that he was about to level off, um, and uh, initiated TCAS warning to the captain of the A310. I think, personally, if I had flown the aircraft sufficiently in the simulator to injure all the passengers or a lot of the passengers at the back of my airplane, I might have failed my simulator yeah. check. Uh, there, there is usually no need for a really abrupt control movement uh, in a TCAS response. Uh, for a start, you usually get warning of the traffic. You, you, It's there, you're prepared, and then it gives you a command to climb or descend to get out of the way. And the transition can be... Um, firm but progressive, and there's no reason your passengers should end up being injured as a yeah. result. Um, it's not designed there to put the in, the passengers in uh, jeopardy. Whenever you perform a, uh, a, a resolution advisory, a, uh, a maneuver to as commanded by the TCAS to get out of the way of the uh, aircraft that's impinging on your little bit of airspace. So that's what I suspect has happened here. Um, I, I'm not going to put any... I'm not going to criticize the F-15 guys. It didn't seem sound like they were expecting to do this mission. They were called off something else to go in and take a look at this mm-hmm. airplane. and um, Perhaps they just... Came on in, uh, forgetting that it could be a civilian airliner with TCAS. Yeah, and, you know uh, they might have this forgot
2: result. to turn the TCAS to uh, standby before approaching yeah. the airliner, and then, as you said, um, the way we're taught these TCAS uh, uh, resolution advisories, uh, the maneuvers that we perform should be nice and smooth and nothing abrupt. Apparently, um, that was an overreaction perhaps, of the uh, Iranian pilot crew uh, in the TCAS. Uh, yeah, yeah that, I had not thought of the uh, the whole TCAS uh, aspect of this, but uh, that makes a lot of sense.
3: Having said that, if the I'm not quite sure whether the guy climbed. Uh, I'm assuming yeah, he, he climbed. Only because the video I've seen of the F-15s taken by some of the passengers, uh, it looks like they're below the aircraft. So normally when you pitch the nose up, uh, things aren't going to fly around the cabin. Everyone's actually going to sit down very mm-hmm. hard <laughs> or be glued to their seat. It's the leveling off that's the danger mm-hmm. period. And I I have a feeling that when you're out of trouble, you can level off as smoothly as you like. I have a feeling that the level off might have been what threw everyone around
2: oh, the cabin. Yeah, right. uh,
3: I'm only guessing. I really don't know for sure. But uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit, little bit concerned about the, the skill shown, demonstrated in this particular movie I suspect
2: you're right. I think that's exactly what happened. So, um, do we do we see somebody here that uh, is going to join us? Let's see.
4: Oh, hey, hey, I can me that.
2: <laughs> hey, I hear this voice in my ear, and I see her on screen, and of course, we all know her as Doctor Steph. She is. Well, you all know uh, she's in the Carolinas. She's a skydiver, a marathon runner, a doctor, a strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. Hello, Dr. Steph.
4: Hey, that sounds yeah. like me. Hey, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick. Good to see you guys. Hi. Sorry for my tardiness again. Ah. But so, Well, you know, you have life. Looking forward to work. a good show.
2: Stuff like that.
4: Yeah,
3: work. <laughs> work. Work. work, 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 work. Don't expect any holidays this year.
4: I, well, I've basically just decided that's not going to happen, so I might as well work. I mean,
3: might as well make some money.
4: Good opportunity to yeah, make some money, pay off mm-hmm. some debts, and uh, yeah, why I've not? Got to I save up for that, uh, that big for sure. dinner
2: that you're going to treat me to when I'm in Charlotte next.
4: Oh yes, yes, of course.
2: What is there any other reason? I don't know anything. About that. <laughs> I don't either. I'm just making it up.
4: Oh, I'll treat you to dinner. Uh, thank Jeff, you.
2: Sure. Um, okay. So uh, we were just. Uh, just about to finish up with um, the news. Uh, now, you may have been listening to some of the other news items uh, we were covering stuff. Anything that you want to add? to Anything that we've previously mentioned?
4: Mm, I, I kind of sort of heard what you were mm-hmm. talking about on the news stuff. Um, the volume uh, of the YouTube feed in my car was very uh, low for some reason. So I was having a hard time huh. hearing everything. Well, uh, but, we could talk louder um, then. Um, it all sounded good to me. <laughs> yeah, I almost said, hey. <laughs> Turn the speak volume up, will you? Speak up, speak up. So um Yeah, it's noisy in those things when you don't have any doors on the car.
2: Still driving around without the doors, huh?
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Unnecessary. They they're an optional extra that the doctor couldn't afford. Well, that's why she's
2: working <laughs> so right. hard. So she can buy some doors. Buy some doors.
4: Yeah. Um I'm gonna start a GoFundMe. Um buy stuff doors for so no just kidding i
2: do have credit. i have I, there's something uh, i don't have the news folder right now but i do want to talk about because you're a doctor but let me cover this one first okay um item sure. e american airlines is scrapping the plane involved in the jfk quote incident remember we talked about this uh, shortly after it happened um it was uh, april 10th of last year a pretty terrifying incident happened on an American Airlines flight, um, 300, from New York to Los Angeles. The flight was operated by an Airbus A321 that was built in 2014 with the registration code November 114, November, November. Long story short, the plane rolled to the left as it took off, causing the left wing to hit something during takeoff. Uh, something um, beyond the lateral limits of the of the runway, and it's a wide run. That runway they were taking off on is a 200 foot wide runway. So we were all kind of going, huh? What's going on there? Anyway, as the plane passed through 20,000 feet, the pilots informed air traffic control of their intention to return to the airport. As the pilots described it to the controller, the plane had a ro- strong roll to the left, and the plane was fine. But they just wanted to return to K- Kennedy to have them check it out. In the meantime, the crew informed passengers that they were returning to the airport because there was a computer malfunction, as reported by at.
3: Um, yes. Excuse me. How could how is this computer causing a strong roll? <laughs> well, you know those left. stupid computers in the Airbus. <laughs>
2: Nick, you know they do that I'm all the sure. time. Oh,
3: those computers. Oh, yeah. Okay. I thought it was his laptop. Perhaps got. Oh, I think and- I think they're
2: talking about the airplane computer, not not his laptop computer. Although I don't know. Maybe you got. You're onto something there. <laughs> maybe the he should have put his. Laptop computer away before attempting the takeoff. <laughs> turn,
4: off, turn off and stow your electronic, large Yeah, electronic I guess he
2: wasn't places. listening to the safety briefing. Anyway, as reported by at XJONNYC at XJohn, New York City, the American A321 involved in this incident will never fly again. Some of the plane parts will be removed and reused, while the rest of the plane will be scrapped. Wow. In late 2019, American Airlines had confirmed to me, the person me is Ben from one mile at a time blog had referred or had, um, confirmed to him that the NTSB is still investigating the incident and that the intent was for the plane to eventually return to service. American has been tight lipped about this incident. So it's unknown exactly, uh, the decision to scrap the plane, unknown how exactly the decision to scrap the plane came about or what was determined, Did it take nearly 15 months to come to the conclusion that the plane couldn't be repaired economically? Did coronavirus play a part in the decision just to scrap the plane, since American is retiring many planes anyway?
3: Well, the plane caught coronavirus. Uh, It's
2: possible. You know, that's uh, what you'd have to be led to believe.
3: I mean, it's
4: pretty contagious. Yeah.
2: One thing is for sure. Clearly, this incident was much more serious than many people had assumed at the time. This isn't quite uh, this is quite a contrast to the Delta 757 that had a very rough landing in the Azores in August of 2019 Uh, due to the amount of damage to the fuselage. Many speculated that the plane would never fly again. And I think many of us here at the APG speculated that that would be the case. However, we were surprised the plane was able to be ferried back to the U S just over a month after the incident. And by December of last year, it was back in service. So yeah. um, Strange. Uh, Why? It didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. And it's kind of odd that they're scrapping, they made the, the decision to scrap the thing.
3: Yeah, it may be that you've got plenty of uh, those aircraft sitting around in much better condition, and the lessors are going, oh, we'll give you a really cheap deal. Why would you spend all the money to repair one that, uh, you know, is
2: far from perfect? That's, that's probably the most likely thing. Uh, thing, I would guess. Okay, and then the, the thing that I wanted to ask Steph about, um, Delta Airlines says no, says no to masks with valves will offer complimentary mask. If you're planning to fly with Delta Airlines, be sure to leave home any masks with valves, as the airline will not allow you to use them on board. And a recent, po- recent policy update regarding mask usage, the airline states that masks with valves whether it's a N95 or something else, will not be allowed as they do not offer any real protection for those around the person wearing the mask. Valved masks allow for air to be easily expelled, offering protection only for the wearer, but not for those in close proximity, which is really the main reason why we're wearing the masks, right?
4: Yeah, the whole reason why we're wearing the mask is primarily to prevent you, the mask wearer, from transmitting your germs to someone else. That is the primary reason so if you have a valve um you know the valve would have to allow air in and not out but i don't know that a lot of the mat the uh, masks that have valves are that type of mm-hmm. valve so if it's allowing uh if it's the opposite so intended for the mask wearer um to not can, not um catch something, mm-hmm. you know, so someone who's immunocompromised or something along those those lines, um, it's it's potentially doing the opposite, allowing them to expel air through the mask and not the other way around. Um, and I don't know that you could um, reliably know which type of valve you're, ma- I mean, I guess you, you could, but if, if someone else looking at it doesn't know, then.
2: So I guess they have masks that have valves that are oriented in different ways?
4: I, to be honest, I don't know. I've never closely yeah. inspected one I've never had any reason to um, but I imagine that's the oh. case you know if you're if you're the person trying to um, protect yourself from um, contracting mm-hmm. something you wouldn't want to allow much in but you might right. still want to be able to you know exchange air back out and not be worried right. about that so yeah could be
2: so that makes sense to have the valve because one one of the one of the objections to people wearing the mask is that it's hard to breathe, right? And so, if you have a valve that makes it easier to exhale, I would imagine that uh, that would be a good thing, at least for the mask wearer. But as we just stated, the reason why the governments are saying wear the mask it's so that you, if you have or you are a carrier of the uh, disease, that you don't give it to somebody else. Okay, exactly. I think I said that right? <laughs> All right. I think yeah. that's what you say. Yeah, I you mean,
4: don't you don't want to be transmitting your germs to other people right. is the primary wor- uh, reason for wearing the mask
2: in this. Anyway, I just thought case. that was interesting, and thought you would be able to kind of give us an idea. I hadn't had not heard that. That was just something I but, saw. Um, that's today. my that's
4: my best educated okay. guess. Um, but like I said, I really haven't ever had a reason to inspect those masks closely. So perhaps if I'm not a hundred percent correct there, someone will let us know.
2: I have a um, a point that I need to make here. I've just noticed that Hillel. Is in the chat room, and I'm wondering why he's not in the bathroom of my home.
4: <laughs> I think he's he's chatting. Oh, he oh maybe bathroom. he is. He's oh. He just the has
3: phone. His okay. in there. Good. Obviously, he's he's doing that. Discussing. Hello, he texting on the Make toilet. sure
2: you use a lot of soap. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and a tip: don't use Hillel's phone. Don't borrow it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think that's all we have in our news folder, which means that it's time for all of you listening and watching to get to know us. And that's uh, the segment we call Getting to Know Us. And let's see, about a week ago, I think was our last show, exactly a week ago. So, Captain Nick, what have you been up to sir sure.
5: um
3: well i've been working quite hard uh, to tell the truth because plain tales always takes up uh, at least two days of my week um and then uh, you came up with a very bright idea more work that, uh, yeah <laughs>
2: yes but
3: a way to make that three days <laughs>
2: i was really concerned that you were just not you didn't have enough to do
3: Yeah, yeah, okay. When you get to seven days, can you stop? (laughs) Because there are only seven days in a week. Uh, I'm getting a bit worried. No, I'm only joking. Um, Jeff has, uh, for those who perhaps not have realized, um, for some time been uh, introducing chapters into the show so that when you watch this or listen to this on a podcast, if you are playing it on a podcast app, that supports uh, chapters. You can look down at your phone and the logo image will change to a picture of something that might be relevant for that part of the show. And Jeffs I, I always I, I admire it very much and sometimes I can get it to work on the podcast player in my car so rather than just having the same logo all the time you got interesting pictures coming up uh, that illustrate what we're talking about. Um he said, "Well, oh, you know, uh, Nick, you're putting those pictures up on the YouTube version of uh, of uh, the show. Uh, when Plain Tales comes on, um, you could do the same in the uh, podcast uh, app um, by introducing chapters." And so I had a little lesson with Jeff, and we found a piece of. Oh, there we go. Uh, Jeff produced a, a beginning of a recent uh plane tail and there's a picture of an airplane there which is the avro arrow um so uh he showed me the piece of software i need to play with uh and um uh, i've put pictures on the last uh i think three uh plane tails to go out on the plane tail feed so if you uh if you don't uh, receive plane tails as a separate uh, podcast you you probably won't, you well, you definitely won't get this. Uh, perhaps we will. Uh, there's a way to do it in the um, in the full show, Jeff. I don't know <laughs> it might be what's that too hard for you. Yeah, you when uh, you edit the mm-hmm. full show, if I've already done plain tales as chapters, if you insert that into the mm. um, full show one, will that work? I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Have a think about that because I think it's only fair that I give you some Oh, work yeah. In I, I need, I need more you've given things me. to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh, don't now. give me any
4: more work. I've got enough. <laughs>
3: we know better. So, now. Oh, wait. I'm get, not doing
4: any work for the show. No, you're
3: not doing it. You're not even reading the show notes. Come on,
4: Steph. No. Mind you,
3: you, are doing 22 yes. push ups. 21. I'm very yes. Right?
2: Or is it 22? Yes. Exactly
3: 22. Right. Ah. It's sorry. 22. So, uh, you should get pictures with. Uh, Tales on the live show, uh on the website and on the podcast if you're using uh an app that supports it. And I will point out right now that Apple Podcasts, the app that comes on your Apple phone, does not wait, so you won't see it there. Boring Apple. So uh tell them to go and fix it. Anyway, that's what one of the things I've been playing with recently. Um I am going to be on PTUK at the end of the woo-hoo, week. Woo so, uh, okay. yeah, I'm moonlighting and getting a bit of extra cash that way, which I think is uh, very welcome in these days of retirement. Getting rid of? <laughs> getting rid of? No, no, I'm making it a bit extra. Oh, that's what I thought oh, you extra. said.
2: You were yeah. – so they're actually – I know, I heard getting rid of – You're actually rid- going to like, pay wait. them to be on their show?
3: No, no. Well, <laughs> I, I would, of course, because they're well, such
2: they lovely people. But, no,
3: no, that's not the idea. Uh, and um, – I think there was something else I was going to say, but I can't think of it right now. So I'm probably going to leave it there. It was going to be fascinating, I'm sure. I probably wasn't.
2: Um, hmm. So interestingly, um, I I was distracted by something that somebody in the chat room had said. Who was it that was looking for a plain tale about D.B. Cooper?
5: Okay. Rich from sheffield
2: um and he did a search on the website and so i just did a search as well and there's a bunch of things that it pulls up but i'm not sure if did you ever do a plain tale uh, on db cooper
3: no i thought it was a pretty well-known story and i try and avoid well-known stories having said that Today's is a well-known story, although I'm hoping some of the details uh, will be new to some folk. But uh, Yeah.
2: So, Rich from Sheffield, that's why you couldn't plain tell about D.B. Cooper, because there isn't one. By the way, just to mention, uh, if you do go to the website, uh, on the top menu bar... Um, and I think it depends on, I don't think that you can get it on, uh, the telephone, the phone version of the, uh, of the site, but there's a little magnifying glass. I think you can see it in the, uh, like if you have an iPad and landscape and if you're looking at on the desktop browser and that's pretty handy, actually, I use it a lot. If I need to find something that was on a previous show, I just use that little magnifying glass and, uh, works pretty well. It uh, gives references to whatever you're searching for. So,
3: having said that, I've a funny feeling it was part of uh, mm-hmm. one of those multiple stories I do about sometimes about various incidents. I think so I have a you, feeling it was I, mentioned. Yeah, I, yeah, I've a feeling I've just sort of done a third of a plain tale about it, and it was mixed in with several other. So, it, may I just suggest you go back to plain tale number one, which was. Um, all about the first drink that mm-hmm. the astronauts who uh, landed on the moon had when they came out of quarantine, and listened to them all. <laughs> There's only about it take you very long thirty of them. Uh, <laughs> no, they're they're short. You see, so. Uh, Take you any time at all, and when you now, find it, if you, you let us
2: know. um, we mentioned this also at the end of the show. So, many of you listening right now, maybe you know it's a long show, so perhaps you never make it actually toward the end, which you should do on occasion because it's kind of entertaining, especially with Hillel when he talks about Slack. Um, but uh, the uh, one of the things we mention is our website, and one of the items. uh, One of the pages on our website is the plain tales page where Nick goes in and and adds a lot of other information a lot of text and that kind of stuff. So if DB Cooper was actually in the text of what you've put in for whatever plain tale you were referring to, um, the search function should, should see that I'm thinking. So anyway,
3: and uh, someone else said, "Oh, mm-hmm. Brandon Gonzalez says he listens in Apple Podcasts,
2: and mm-hmm. he does get chapters." So, uh, oh yeah, I'm it is in. Oh right yeah, it is in podcasts. Um, you you didn't think it was?
3: Oh, okay, I wasn't getting it on my phone when I was testing. Love it. Windows.
2: Um, I think yeah. I. I... <laughs> I think windows it's a wooden certain...
4: For a second I was half afraid it was my phone making noise because I just plugged in a charger no, over here. The, and like,
2: uh, oh, I'm oh, using oh, a no, surface tablet, our original EFB. Yep, and like uh the uh, and I'm using it as a um interface for my digital mixer. And uh, apparently I didn't have it my muted. But, nice. but normally it doesn't make any noise, but I'm not sure exactly what prompted that. Um anyway, going into um Podcasts. I think that there's a way for you to uh, see those if they're um, if if people have put chapters in, and I think
3: well, certainly Tony S says he, he uh, sees them on uh, podcast
2: the podcast app. You have to like scroll down a ways to, to see the chapter markers um, on the uh, on the I, iPad or iPhone app app. But yeah, I don't see. Anyway, but I don't see the images associated uh, I, with them.
3: It's it's great if they're coming up there. It, that's brilliant. So uh, it makes it um, worth doing, well, I think.
2: Interestingly, the image doesn't come up unless I'm doing this wrong. I see where the chapter markers are in the uh, in the podcast app, but I don't see. associated image
3: yeah the chapters mark and plain tales is pretty irrelevant really because i don't divide the story up into chapters that make any sense the pictures come along with uh, me referring to a particular aircraft type for example Uh, but that's not a chapter separation so that's not really a function that works with plain tales but certainly having the the logo picture change
2: Yeah, that's that's what we're that's the functionality we're actually looking for. So, Brandon, if 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 yours is doing that, let us know what the heck you're doing that we're not because we're not seeing it on the uh, iOS version of podcasts. Every other, interestingly, and and Nick and I have had this conversation. (laughs) The uh, Apple's the one that comes up with this capability of um, showing chapters and images from different chapters, and it's the only podcast player that i know of that does not actually implement it yes. <laughs> but they're the ones that came up with it so if you look at overcast or pocket casts mm-hmm. or yeah, any of the other there. players yeah. you can see it <laughs> so kind of strange <laughs> oh i see brandon says you have to be a podcaster yourself for it to work. Okay. <laughs> there's the key <laughs> there you go well hey we're podcasters why why don't we see it working well, you have minute. to be a is that a smart s- podcaster ah Okay, somebody uh, somebody, kick him out of the chat, please. All right, um, just kidding. Oh, so anything else, Nick, besides uh, all the extra work? Now, I did preface this with, now you may find that this is too much work and, and it's a, just a suggestion. I'm not saying <laughs> that you have to do this. It's just something to consider if you want an enhancement.
3: Well, I've decided that it is doable uh, if I uh, streamline my workflow a little. Currently, I'm going finding those pictures three times. So I find them and put them in, and then I forget where they were. And then I've got to go and find them again and reformat them and put them somewhere else. And then I forget where they were again. So, but if I, I've started uh, getting pictures, put them in one spot, and then I will format them and put them where they need to be from there, and I'll try and remember where they are in future.
2: I think you're doing more work than you need to, because i <laughs> uh, i don't I don't reformat them at all when I put them into the chapters. I just it's drag the them over.
3: overlay that needs a specific size in the chapter, yeah. um, right?
2: Yeah. I, uh, I yeah, yeah. That's uh, one of those things that uh, it's a little persnickety the uh, the streamyard uh, overlays that we put up um, on, the vid- on the video. Uh, if you don't have it exactly the right uh, uh, format, uh, then it it box. So, and. <laughs> Not barks, but box balks. balks. Okay, enough of that. Steph, you have you been
4: good? Busy. Um, work. 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 A lot of work. And uh, work. work.
6: Work. 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 Schedule.
4: Work. <laughs> yeah, that's about been my life uh, during the week. Um, still doing a bunch of flying on the weekends. Past weekend was kind of fun and interesting and different. Still flying. Uh jumpers, skydivers. But uh, we took a plane to a different drop zone because um, this particular drop zone was in need of an aircraft for the weekend. Theirs was broken. Um, we had a chance to kind of help them out. So um, flew up there, uh, different different location in North Carolina on Saturday morning. Actually, Traverse, I'm wearing my Opposing Basis t-shirt because we flew through the mythical uh, triad airspace on Saturday morning. So I did send them a notum that um, there's going to be a known aeronautical hazard in their airspace um, <laughs> that morning. And unfortunately, uh, AG was working, but didn't get to talk to him on the frequency, but he did pass along a message of hello. So that was that was nice of him to do so. Um, my co-pilot got a, got a kick out of that. He's like, who don't you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, this t-shirt is great, too, because it's got their, um, you know, I tried to use this to navigate. Uh, I don't know if I can turn around and show you. Uh, I don't know if you guys.
2: Mm. Uh yeah so yeah. Yeah. Try at airspace and has all the uh different uh names they use uh
4: Yeah. At, at the very bottom it does have a, a disclaimer that says um not for navigation use. <laughs> so uh luckily I made it anyway. I made it to their destination. Uh so yeah, so that was fun. Um you know, different location, different place to fly, different um just different setup. So keep your brain uh, on its toes, so to speak. And <laughs> Uh,
2: huh? Our brains have toes. Yeah, sure. Okay,
4: I'm sure there's a better
3: way to put that. It's got to be but... a joke there somewhere.
2: <laughs> well, I, well, she knows a lot of more about our anatomies than, than I, you I know, do. So, so
4: look up a homunculus, and then you'll understand. Okay. Someone out there will know what I'm talking gold. about. Homunculus, just like it sounds. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I did that all weekend. Um, uh, got back. Uh, not too late on, on Sunday night but then just right back into work on, on Sunday morning so that's that's been my my week in summary so nothing nothing too crazy nothing out of the ordinary just work flying work so very good probably be more of the same this weekend I hope but we'll, we'll see well so this weekend speaking of um, yeah. I am supposed to have a visit from you know that guy Colonel Jeff on the Friday uh-huh um but it seems like he's decided to to ditch me and go to Atlanta instead so
2: he decided to upgrade uh-huh, his uh-huh, visiting uh-huh. um what's the uh, word experience <laughs> I've got it working on Apple Podcasts. Ex- you do yeah okay i just, you give just a swipe Great up
3: enough. and uh click on show chapters and then it
2: happens. oh okay there you go we've we've uh, come up with a solution live during the show wow Yes. Um, Yeah, so uh, I just um, noticed in that conversation that Steph is referring um, that uh, Colonel Jeff is going to be laying over in the ATL on Friday. And so I'll get to see him and we'll get to have a a late lunch or early dinner or both. Um, He has to leave early on Saturday morning. So uh, I'll definitely uh, go down and pick him up from the... The Marriott Airport Hotel, and uh, we'll we'll do something. So that that should be fun. Looking forward to uh, seeing Colonel Jeff.
4: Yeah, he was supposed to be here, but it sounds like he's got a couple more Charlotte layovers before uh, before retirement. So
2: he doesn't want to spoil himself too much by yeah, seeing you well, every single. To
4: be to be honest, uh, you know, if he's getting in early and um, you're available, and I'm working all day, that's probably mm-hmm. more enjoyable anyway. So.
2: yeah, well, I'm not sure it'd be a more enjoyable experience, but you know, I'm here and I'm not working. Um, so an update on that. Um, yeah, not working. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, am just waiting for ACME to tell me when I'm going to go to training. And, um, right now, as far as I know, I haven't heard anything different. It's going to be in October. Uh, for those of you who are, who have been under a rock somewhere, um, I was, uh, uh, or I displaced myself to the uh, 717, the uh, little mini Mad Dog, um, that, uh, the MD-95, and uh, we'll be training on that sometime later in the year and converting on that, and hopefully by the end of the year, I'll actually start flying jets again. So it's been about, my last flight was the 27th of May, uh, and Colonel Jeff was actually on that flight, and so I guess it's been a little over two months since i've flown a jet which is kind of weird i guess after a while you get used to it uh captain nick
3: oh, oh yes <laughs> <laughs> you think oh
2: it's so nice yeah actually oh, i have to well, be I... honest i i'm kind of getting used to this this whole re- Uh-oh. semi-retired Uh-oh. lifestyle <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know maybe i don't
4: want to go back to
2: work yeah maybe i'll wait and then when it's getting closer to, to training i'll go you know of course I, I can't take advantage of that uh, early retirement deal anymore. So mm. um, that is has uh, come and gone. So anyway um, let's see. That's all. I, I don't really have much going on. I I've uh, got, I mentioned that on the uh, last day of my uh, train journey, I, I thought I may have possibly been uh, exposed to the uh, Rona. And uh, mm, so out of, right.
4: Oh, I said that's right. I forgot all about
2: that. Yeah, so I kind of put myself in self quarantine, and uh, that's been a couple of weeks now. Um, this Saturday will be uh, will be two weeks. Uh, so this weekend uh, I'll I'll return to uh, singing at uh, my my parish church. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, that's about it. Just been uh, kind of have you know getting into a routine, which is uh, kind of nice um, every morning I get out and walk for a couple of hours and just to try to keep all the things moving and working and and uh,
3: you need a dog uh, a new dog I no. know
2: you used to have a
3: dog because that's a wasted walk now you could be exercising your gorgeous pooch
0: <laughs> well
2: I am. <laughs> <laughs> my, my gorgeous go belly.
0: Pooch.
5: Excuse
2: me?
3: <laughs> pooch dog. Oh, that. That kind of pooch. Or you could uh, get a, um, I don't know, a tortoise and take it for a drag.
2: Yeah, that might be more my speed. Anyway. I
3: had one in my
4: backyard the other day. Did you? Could have put a little Oh, really? Of,
3: uh, yeah. Tortoise or a turtle?
4: Uh, I don't know. Something Are with they, a shell. If you,
3: if you throw the tortoise in the lake, you'll see it's soon not find so good. <laughs> No, not yeah, not so good. I think I, I think you was... know, I don't, I don't know. But
4: my dogs were afraid <laughs> okay. of it. It was very small, and they were like, "Ooh." So,
3: <laughs> I saw your dogs uh, be, uh, behaving like hooligans while yeah, you were doing normal. your twenty-two pushups. Totally normal. Yep. By the way, I can't I owe exercise like
4: with with uh, Truman around because yeah, he just thinks it's playtime. And then, fortunately, Taco was there, so he just attacked Taco instead of me.
3: Oh, that's very good. Now, uh, when I did my 22, I only did 21, so I owe you one.
4: Oh, yeah, okay. I'll I'll look forward to that.
3: Okay.
2: All right. Well, I guess that's it for getting to know us. Not really much to know. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, let's move on to the coffee fund, shall we?
5: Johnny, how much more coffee? No, thanks.
2: I love coffee. I love tea.
0: I love the APG community. Coffee and
1: tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup,
3: a cup, a cup.
2: Okay, we're going to talk about our wonderful coffee, our club members, Coffee Fun Cadre, uh, the people that support the show financially. And a couple different ways to do it. You can find out how by going to the website. But... Let's tell you about the first way to do it, which is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, a couple of recurring donors uh, contributed. Uh, let's see, Vigner, Jason, and Alistair. And uh, we also had, well, I'll talk about him in a minute. Um, the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show. And we have a couple of new patrons. We have... Gabe Cloud and Daniel Jenkins, they're new producers and Rory Shields a new executive producer. So thank you the three of you for uh, becoming patrons of the show. And if you want to uh, join this great group of folks, people, you can uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com/coffee and find out about how you can do that. And I want to do something that I haven't done in a while and that is to kind of mention our our top patrons. Uh, we have uh, something at the very top called senior executive producers. and uh, those folks are William Birch, Fitz James, and um, Asa Armin. I just realized today I was pro- mispronouncing his name. I always said ASA, but it's ASA, I think it's ASA. Uh, but anyway, um, and he's been around with us as a patron of the show since 2014, believe it or not, shortly after I started uh, the patron Patreon thing. And uh, the next group of, uh, the next level, next tier, uh, we have, um, these are the assistant senior executive producers. We have uh, Mike Clark, uh, Robert Fairbairn, uh, affectionately known as many other names, Hamish, Dick. uh, Rob Simmons in uh, the UK. And Magnus Rudebick, I think, um, cut off his last name there. And Ilyas uh, Colombo. So they are all in that, uh, that second tier. So just wanted to mention that group of folks because uh, that's uh, uh, a lot of great support from them and uh, just wanted to kind of give them credit for that. And finally, I know the music is no longer playing in the background, but that's okay, we don't need it. Um, we do have a P.O. box um, at the APG and I went to uh, check it a uh, few days ago and I had a, a letter from Richard K. Brooks III in Maryland. And inside, he uh, gave us a nice contribution via check. And uh, he gave us this nice handwritten note. And let me read it. It says, Dear all, I am celebrating my birthday and my first year anniversary of listening to APG. What a fantastic show with an amazing group of people. Please accept this contribution to the coffee fund in memory of Captain Andy Anderson. The eulogy recited by Captain Nick was beyond um, description, but a wonderful way to honor Dad. I look forward to meeting you all in BWI or PHL. Blue skies and tailwinds. Cheers, Richard. And see, it's a real note. You can actually hear it. Okay, thank you very much for the the nice check. I'm not going to throw, show that on the video because then people will probably get information that they don't need to get from it. So thank you a lot, Richard, for the very uh, generous contribution. And uh, again, if you want to join the coffee fund, please head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And now we'll move on.
5: Captain. Incoming message.
2: Feedback feedback. Um you'll notice uh, item number 1. <laughs> so I like number 1. So what? Yeah, I want to do number so, 1. So Liz <laughs> um does Can I read it? Wait, wait. wait. Can I sure. read
4: it? Sure. Says there is no feedback here. Go away. Move to number 2. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks.
2: Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that's Thank you. that was what I put out as the title. So what um Liz does a lot of work. She's on vacation right now in her cottage up in the uh, Lake well-deserved. Like Well-deserved, yes. Uh, and this beautiful lake cottage up there uh, north of Toronto. And the um, internet apparently is really not very good. And so she can't be here to um, uh, produce and direct, mostly direct us. But in the background, before we do these shows, she does a heck of a lot of work in organi- uh, organizing things. And so what Liz would have done, so I want the uh, item that was number one in the uh, feedback, I decided yesterday that now I don't want to do that one. And... So what she would do is she would delete it and then she would renumber all the all these uh, in the list of feedback. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> worth my time to do. So I decided I'm just going to instead of what was there before. That's I just said there's there's no feedback here. Go away. Move to number two. <laughs> Thank you.
3: <laughs> I, I'm wondering which would have taken you longer, but there you go.
2: Uh, that was tr- trust me. That was a lot faster than going each one and changing the title and the numbers and everything else. Anyway, so let's start with uh, item number two, and uh, this is from Stan. I think he calls himself the uh, Stanimal, and uh, so I need to do something here. He he just he didn't really send us any message. He just sent us uh, a movie or a video file, and uh, the the uh, the title of his um, of his feedback is "Airline Pilots Shouldn't Have." face tattoos and and if you're looking at the show notes or watching the show uh via video you're going to see what he sent us
3: just imagine they go go to a museum and finding one of these old airplanes and uh you peer into the navigator's compartment and there's just his (laughs) desiccated
2: no i didn't cut the audio out just cut out on his own but the um, Who is that poor unfortunate <laughs> that's speaking there? Well, it, it looks a lot like similar to you. Um, it looks like
4: the like an old curmudgeon.
2: Yeah.
3: It looks like it came from the dollar store. It's got 99 cents on the on forehead. <laughs> right. I don't quite understand so that. So
2: Stan apparently uh, decided to have some fun with a little video clip of, of Nick uh, while we were doing one of the shows. And he um, put these face tattoos on on him, on Nick, and it's really, really kind of scary, frightening. Actually,
3: actually, look at me Don't look at me. Look at the airplane behind, because uh-huh. that's very apt considering the plane tail today.
2: Oh yeah, mm. how about that? Very apt. Huh. Okay, I love your Chiclets uh, colored teeth. That's that's a nice touch.
3: That's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. i I'd, I'd been eating that colored sherbet. My <laughs> tongue was. Bright purple,
2: purple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So again, to understand what the heck we're talking about, either you're going to have to watch the video, or you're going to have to look at the show notes, and hopefully, you'll be able to play this uh, this file in the sh- from the show and notes.
4: And clearly, Stan was offended by airline pilots having face tattoos. He, well, I don't he blame sent him. It to I'm Offended.
2: I'm a, oh, yeah, that's right. He, he did send that <laughs> yeah. to the I'm Offended at AirlinePilotGuy.com address. <laughs> you,
3: you notice I, I've I've had them removed.
2: <laughs> you have, and you look much better. It's costly. Be, much better. Yeah. Yeah. Much more
3: presentable It happened during the last laser attack. Uh, <laughs> and actually, the benefit of the laser attack was it got rid of my face tattoo. Oh.
2: Well, there's always a silver lining, isn't there? Silver yeah. lining. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, I'm a great believer <laughs> in those. All right, uh, moving on to item three. This is from Brett. Um, he said, I ran across a video of an emergency landing of a Mooney that landed after a baggage door separated and it was speared by the horizontal stab. Or maybe stabbed by the horizontal stab. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so
3: funny. Thank Jeff. you. <laughs> oh,
2: I love you, too. <laughs> Looks like the pilot had a time trying to get it on the ground with limited inputs due to the elevator being partially jammed. Then he sent us a link to this YouTube video, which we also have in the show notes for you all to check out. I'm not going to play it, um, but um, it's a, a good description here. The the baggage door somehow separated from the airplane and just got stuck in the the outer portion of the um, elevator where there's like a little piece that sticks forward. Uh, they call it a, a horn, I think. Elevator horn, right? Isn't that what they call that?
3: Uh, yes, and often an aerodynamic and or mass balance. Yes. So uh, am I right, Steph? Because I'm not – they don't really have that on proper <laughs> airplanes. I didn't know the –
4: on proper airplanes? <laughs> I didn't know the technical term for it, to be honest. I think I've heard um, it referred to
2: as a horn, but I could be wrong. Mm. Um, Wait, you got horn on the mind. Uh, I guess like I'm so. just kind oh, of – yeah.
4: You know, HR has uh, <laughs> it. Um, you were doing I so know. well before I got here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He
2: continues. Uh, so we, we have the link to the uh, YouTube video for you all to check out again. It's a Mooney M20K emergency landing. And um, he had, luckily, he had all these cameras going uh, at the time. And uh, so check it out. He uh, continues, I'm very glad to see Rick as a mainstay on the podcast. No offense to the others, but I love the rickets that he sneaks in. As an aerospace engineer, I like to geek out on the mechanical details and systems of flying. Tell him to keep up the good work. I love the podcast. All the chatter. Keep it going. I hope to see you guys sometime soon after all the crazy Rona ridiculousness. And that's Brett Seymour, uh, Rocket City aviation nerd. Rocket City is uh, Huntsville, Alabama. So, there you go. He's sent from an iDevice. device. In,
4: <laughs> in the video, they called it the elevator. Oh, fork. Oh, the
2: elevator fork. Hmm.
3: Yeah, but Brandon. Brandon likes I think it's a horn. horn.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I agree okay. with you, Brandon. We'll let you stay. Don't kick him out.
3: I think that's one word for
2: it. It's the. I think of several. It's the actual them. correct, proper word <laughs> American for the airline pilot guy show American. American. I, I've I've made it so. Okay. okay so. uh, item four, Texas Charlie. Uh, he said the other pre-flight safety speech. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, he sent this to Liz. Let's move on to number five. <laughs> um, <laughs> he did. He said that. <laughs> Liz is not here. Do you, Do you think that maybe he wanted to kind of send this to all of us? Maybe? I don't know. Anyway, I uh, hope this email finds you well. The attached alternate pre-flight safety speech is from Doug Lansky via YouTube. I expect it's copyrighted. And Mr. Lansky is Ravel writer and keynote speaker. What's Ravel writer? What does that mean? Idea? Is, Any ideas? Is be, something writer and keynote is. speaker. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Uh Here. I know I what don't I can know. do. I can select this word and look up rabble.
3: I think uh, he slightly mistyped. <laughs> he meant rabble rouser and keynote speaker.
2: <laughs> okay. It could be, though, <laughs> uh, he was referring to Ravel Maurice, a French composer. Uh, actually, Maurice uh, Joseph Ravel. Or um, he may have re- been referring to uh, untangling or unraveling something. Huh. So ravel means to like get it travel, get it all, all not a T no, 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 not, not travel ravel. Oh, I see what you mean. It's a mm-hmm. travel writer. Ah, bing, bing, bing. You got it, Steph. Uh, Let me start Paul over got there. It in the chair. I expect it's copyrighted. And Mr. Lansky is a travel writer and keynote speaker. So he might be open to allowing APG to use the content in, in exchange for a mention on the show. Now, I don't want to mention Mr. Lansky or the fact that he's a travel writer or keynote speaker. (laughs) Oh, we just did. Um, So instead of doing all that, which seems like a lot of work, um, so we're going to just play like a little bit, little teaser of this uh, video. It's a YouTube video, and I have some audio from that.
1: Greetings from the cockpit. This is your captain speaking. Our AV system isn't working today, so we can't show you the $2 million safety video that an ad agency did for us. But since very little of what that video tells you will actually save your lives, I'm going to do it instead. The FAA says that 60% of you ignore the safety talk. Today, you'll hear the real safety talk you should have been giving years ago.
2: What a tease, huh? Now, you're gonna hear it if you go over to this link on YouTube. So, check it out. Thanks, uh, Texas Charlie, for that.
4: It's actually very funny. It is. I watched the entire thing the other night.
2: All righty. Yeah, I enjoyed it very much too.
4: Good information. Mm -hmm. It is. To be honest.
2: It is for sure. All right. Sam writes, I saw a picture from a local Facebook page in Grimsby, UK of a 747 at Doncaster Airport. Doncaster. Doncaster, yes. Airport a couple of days ago. Uh you can't park your vehicle on a yellow line or on the grass. It'll get towed away, even if it's a seven. <laughs> so uh he has a picture of a seven forty seven that uh was clearing the runway at uh, Doncaster and oh, uh, it looks like uh it's a seven forty seven, so it's a big airplane, lots of wheels. Uh didn't quite uh keep it on the um on the tarmac, on the on the concrete surface. And, uh, I pulled up the information about this airport, uh, just to see, you know, how big the runway is and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's not a, it's not a, a, a short runway at all. It's 9,491 feet long. I'm not sure exactly how many meters that would be. Um, a lot of meters and it's 197 feet wide. So it's almost 200 feet wide. So it's, it's a plenty big runway. Uh, but apparently, um, the, uh, not, not big, big enough, enough for this particular <laughs> flight, <laughs> and a lot of other uh, photos here of the uh, of the incident and the wheels in the in the grass and mud. Um, yeah, kind of embarrassing, I, I would guess.
3: I like the way they've got a couple of uh, recovery trucks that would normally come along and uh, fix you on the side of the motorway, uh, or perhaps not if you had a little car, but if you had a lorry, it would or a. Tractor, trailer, 18-wheeler,
2: lorry, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Big truck. A
3: truck, yes. Uh, And they've chained them to the wheels. They've got two of these from the local (laughs) garage. (laughs) Chained them to the wheels. They're trying to pull it out. That is an interesting way to extract
2: the airplane from the uh, soft surface. Yeah. I hope that's Boeing approved. I'm (laughs) I'm sure sure it it is, is.
3: yes. They put those
4: special lugs on the undercarriage.
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah they found these guys uh, parked next door to the airport at the pub hey come on over here yeah some big chains <laughs> yeah gallows
3: something recovery uh, it must have been a fun job for them.
2: <laughs> um oh i'm sorry armando is suggesting that i pronounce it don costa <laughs> is that better He's also said there's zero hope for us, Nick, <laughs> yeah,
4: which is true. We do our best, but there you go. All
2: right. Uh Ray writes, oh, this we, uh, the next couple of uh, emails regard, or f- pieces of feedback regard the uh, last flight of um, Qantas's uh, 747s, and uh, so I have some uh some videos to play and such. The first one uh, we from our good friend and APG community member for quite some time, Ray Davis in Sydney. And he says, G'day, APG crew. Hope that you are all well. Sydney said goodbye to another queen of the skies from the Qantas fleet. I've also attached a shot clip as she flew right over my house before returning to Sydney International Airport. Take care and stay safe. So apparently I did a whole bunch of these farewell flights. Um, and let me uh, share... The screen, and we can look at the video that Ray uh, took himself. There she is, beautiful 747 in Qantas livery. Bye
3: bye.
2: Bye. Thanks for coming.
3: <laughs> Very cool.
2: Just want to. Watch that all day long. Okay. And we also... He gave us some um, a link to a Twitter account at Breaking News, uh, which also has some video. And so let me uh, pull that up. Oh, it must have been on fire or something. They're, the fire trucks are out. Uh, I think just oh, okay. doing a wash. Just a preventative... Uh,
3: it was a
4: little
2: yeah, dirty. It was pretty filthy, <laughs> okay. you know. Only... Taking off on runway one six right, big beautiful airplane rolling down the one runway. Of course, not as beautiful as the uh, A three forty six hundred, but you know, it's, it's <laughs> not too shabby. Sure. Thank you. Um, Got to make my co-hosts happy. <laughs> uh, He's Qantas. only saying that
4: because Rick is not here today.
3: I am. <laughs> yeah. Rolling down the runway, throttles open
2: wide. I think this was the very first one that they they received at Qantas. A nice, uh, smooth rotation. Uh, Landing gear is being retracted. And um, it's going to, I don't know if this is the very last flight or one of these several last flights that it took. Some really nice footage from a chase plane, um, showing it uh, flying a, around the uh, oh, Sydney Harbour Bridge, Ridge, the old coat hanger, and also the uh, Opera House. I saw in the background yeah, there
3: at the Botanical Gardens. There's the naval uh, dockyards there.
2: Yeah, really, really pretty uh, video footage. So, oh. thank you for sending the link to that. Right. Was that
4: the flight where they then went out and flew the like kangaroo drawing in skydoodle?
2: I don't know if it was this one specifically <clears> or not. Um, it may have been. I don't know. But I did see that as well. Let's keep moving on to the next item, which also deals with the uh, Qantas 747. This is from Tristan. Uh, after many years of listening, I have finally put together some feedback and attached through this email, along with some accompanying pictures. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Tristan. Hi there, captains and doctors, Longtime listener. Finally, a face. or feedback submitter. Hopefully, I don't waffle on too much. Tristan from Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane. Sorry, I just like hearing Jeff say Brisbane. <laughs> Am I saying it wrong? In Australia. With some feedback on a flight I took recently from Brisbane to Brisbane. <laughs> I just so want Jeff did, ju- to
4: go back and forth between Brisbane and Brisbane.
2: Doncaster. Brisbane, Brisbane, Doncasta. Doncasta. <laughs> not How sure. How many more
4: what... difficult to pronounce for American words can we put
2: into the show uh, today? Pretty much they're all difficult for me. Uh, he continues, not sure whether you have spoken about this on the show, but before all this pandemic stuff happened back in 2018, if I recall correctly, Qantas announced their plan to retire their 747s by the end of 2020. After the pandemic hit, Qantas flew the Queens to the Mojave Desert for what they said at the time was storage, quote, and that they would return, uh, but most of us had doubts. In June, as part of a larger announcement, Qantas delivered the news that retirement of the 747s would be brought forward. This, while sad, didn't come as a surprise. Sad fallout from the decline in air travel, but I don't need to tell you that. Qantas has a proud history operating the seven forty seven. One spanning almost fifty years, they have operated almost all, excuse me, almost all major variants, starting with the seven forty seven two hundred in nineteen seventy one, the seven forty seven sp, seven forty seven 747 forty seven four hundred, and finally the seven forty seven four hundred er. Qantas were not only the launch customer of the seven forty seven four hundred er, but also the only operator of that particular variant. Allowing them to fly from Melbourne to Los Angeles with a full load, at one period between the retirement of their last seven o seven in 1978 and the delivery of their first seven six seven in 1985, Qantas operated an all seven forty seven fleet. He continues. Sorry, wrong podcast. I didn't get the, I didn't get the uh, what he was referring to there. But I guess I'm kind of dense. He's referring to a different podcast. I know. Which one, though? So I don't don't get it. Okay, so you don't get it either. (laughs) At the time of the retirement announcement, there was no mention of any celebration, I guess partly because they were also announcing the plan to move all their A380s to Victorville until at least 2023. Nonetheless, not giving her a farewell would have been an absolute travesty. Then earlier this month, and much to the glee of many, including me, Qantas announced they would operate three farewell jumbo joy flights, These flights would depart from Sydney, Brisbane, and Canberra, and be operated by the last remaining 747-400ER in Australia, Victor Hotel Oscar Echo Juliet, named, okay, now I'm going to have a trouble here. Is that Vunala? What would you say, Nick?
3: I'm trying to find out where you are in the text to
2: help Um, you, but... uh, well, okay, if you see the first paragraph, and then there's In like one Winala? sentence, and then the next uh, paragraph is W-U-N-A-L-A, Wunala. But, you so, know, sounds good. Like the way they pronounce fer- things, there go. that seems like it'd be a reasonable way to pronounce it, but I'll bet it's something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> After it uh, carried out the Wunala Dreaming livery for a number of years, O-E-J was also the 57th. Oh, oh uh,
3: yeah, oh, Wunala. It's Wunala, mate. Wanala, yeah, mate, Ganana wanala. Put Nala another for, uh... shrimp on the
2: Barbie. <laughs> 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 I can't do an Australian accent. I'm Send sorry. your feedback just to Wanala, <laughs> mate. At uh, airline pilot guy.
4: I'll just,
3: poor accent. I just and... <laughs> wake up. I was Wanala dreaming. <laughs> Thank you. Better late than never, Nick. <laughs> well, I, it's a big, it's a pile of text here. I'm trying to find one word.
2: I just assume that you're always following along with me, but apparently now not. No, I'm
3: occasionally looking at the chat room to see if I can help out our many listeners.
2: Don't do that. That's a great distraction. <laughs> um, okay, where was I? Uh, well, now you see you don't know. OEJ was also the 57th and final 747 to be delivered to Qantas, touching down in Australia in August 2003. Oh, I was wrong. It was not the first one. It was like the the last one. Um, tickets for each of the flights were limited to 150 in economy and even less in business and unsurprisingly were highly sought after selling out between 10 and 20 minutes, depending on what you read. Much to my excitement, I was one of the lucky ones getting myself a seat in economy. The day finally came and I was like a kid on their birthday up early and out the door to the airport. After a few snacks in the Qantas lounge, I went to the gate to watch the queen land and taxi to the gate after flying up from Sydney. Much to my surprise, we boarded on time, and I was seated in row 71. I was in the first group to board, even managing to be number one down the arrow bridge. After pushing back, we were given a water cannon salute, a fitting farewell by the ARFF. We taxied past the packed spotters area to the hold short line of runway 19. No one cared that we sat there for about 10 minutes to allow a medevac helicopter to get on the ground, as any extra time on board was precious. After being given clearance, the four big GE CF-6s were spooled up and we thundered down the runway, taking off to the south. Banking right, we headed over the Brisbane CBD, making two 2,000-foot passes before ascending to only 4,000 feet and making course south. The day was absolutely gorgeous, so a low and slow pass of the Gold Coast made for a stunning photo opportunity. After making a U-turn just past the Gold Coast Airport, we headed back to track around Bribie, Bribie? I don't know, B-R-I-B-I-E, and the Moreton I- Islands, or Moreton Islands, just south of Brisbane, before sadly turning back towards Brisbane Airport. He does use the word Brisbane quite a lot in this <laughs> As a final farewell, the Queen flew a runway heading above Brisbane Airport's newest runway, 19 9 right, which had only been opened three days prior, before banking left over the Qantas hangars and eventually back around to 19 left for a perfect touchdown. While taxing to the hangars, a number of crew came over the PA, not only to thank us, but to also acknowledge those members of the crew for whom this was their last. The last address was one of the captains who would be leaving the cockpit for the last time, You could hear the emotion in his voice, especially when he spoke of his family being on board. At that point, I really felt the human aspect of the event. After being towed to the hangar, we were able to hop off and walked around the Queen. I took a number of photos, but for a period, I just stood there and looked up, transfixed. After about an hour, it was all over. Groups of Qantas employees were arriving to have their time to say goodbye to the workhorse of the Qantas fleet. I traveled back to the airport a few hours later to watch her take off, For the last time, and again, as she disappeared off into the distance, I just stood there. While I love to look at the 787-9 and-10 along with the A350, nothing compares to the Queen of the Skies. Except the Airbus (laughs) A340-600. According to Captain Jeff. Yeah, that wasn't Tristan that said that. OEJ will complete uh, one more joy flight out of Canberra before finally departing the Australian shores on the 22nd of July, which was about a week ago, which will be a very sad day for Australian aviation. She will join her sisters in Mojave with a future that is currently unknown. While not in the air, the Queen will live on in Australia as we are blessed to have two Quantas 747s on static display, Victor Hotel Echo Bravo Quebec, a 200B series, is located at the Qantas Founders Museum in Longreach, Outback, Queensland. The second Victor Hotel Oscar Juliet Alpha, a 400 series, is on display at the Historical Aircraft Restoration Society Museum in Illawarra, New South Wales. As a side note, vision of these jets landing at the airports on which the museums are located makes for some cool viewing. As regional airports with runways just big enough to handle the landing, but not the takeoff. Once on the ground, the two jets were never to leave, and you can imagine the dust kicked up when the Echo Bravo Quebec landed in the Australian outback. I've been lucky enough to visit both, exploring them inside and out from the rear bulkhead to the cockpit, and even a walk out onto the wing. Hopefully not in flight. Uh, Getting right up into these two jets makes you really appreciate the evolution of 747s and aircraft in general, from the pulleys and cables to the kilometers and kilometers, kilometers and kilometers of wiring. To anyone who lives in Australia or who visits Australia when all this pandemic stuff is over, I can highly recommend visiting. Both of these museums have also benefited from the aforementioned joy flights, with profits being shared between them. A nice touch from Qantas, keeping this heritage alive. Hopefully, I haven't waffled too much. My words and pictures probably don't do justice to the day that it was. Love the show. Hopefully, once, uh, one day, I get the chance to meet everyone. Cheers, Tristan. And I'm going to share some of these very nice photos that he included in his massage. There we go.
3: I'm looking um, at that uh, flight radar 24 track, and I'm, I'm the devil of me, I can't see a kangaroo there. Really? Yeah. That's clearly a kangaroo. Well, it'll come up in a minute.
4: It's like, it's like um, you know, those magic eyes yeah. where you have to stare <laughs> really hard at it. it and then kind of like move it away slowly. i a few kangaroos. Get, like, three uh, is it
2: standing on its head or something? <laughs> no, that is not the one that they drew the kangaroo. <laughs> that was just a regular show. Sure? Yeah, there is another one that... Uh, That's not included in in his feedback. Uh, Oh, okay. okay. That was another flight. That that explains uh, everything. This is the one that he was on. Um, But they did not draw a kangaroo. (laughs) That was very cruel of you, (laughs) Steph. What? (laughs) But I love it. It was very funny. He goes, yeah, yeah, look, you just got to kind of squint your eyes a your little, eyes bit. A little <laughs> bit,
6: you know.
4: Put your head
2: on one Looks side. Like a kangaroo. It
3: helps a lot.
4: It's a, it's a kangaroo taking a rest, lying down.
2: Apparently, it's been a while since Nick has seen a kangaroo.
4: <laughs> this, this particular pilot was not a very good artist. <laughs>
2: anyway, very nice uh, pictures taken by Tristan. Uh, we thank you for that, sir. <laughs> and oh, then he continues
4: references good. from opposing bases. I should probably really know that since I'm wearing their t-shirt. Pardon me? Oh, the reference to the other podcast that you were right in the middle of that
2: feedback. Oh. So why? So I still don't get the reference, though.
4: Because they'll stop and they'll talk about something and they'll say, he continues and
2: then he goes on. Oh, but I say that, too. So that's why I, I thought.
4: I, I hear that other places as well. So uh, I wasn't gotcha. 100% okay.
2: certain, but that's what. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's what the chat room minute. told us. People, people that are listening to our and watching our show actually listen and watch other podcasts well that's I don't
3: know where they find the time <laughs> I don't either we actually. tried to
4: monopolize all of your time <laughs> well time. yeah
2: exactly right anyway all right, so four hour shows and...
4: let's do this I'm just kidding
2: um, well that has been discussed but I th- don't think that that's anything that's in our near future Okay. Um, let's see, we can move on. Thank you, uh, Ray and Tristan down under for your, um, feedback regarding. Oh, and just a quick mention when Steven and I were on the road trip after coming down from death Valley, uh, in the Mojave desert, uh, we actually passed the airport at which these seven forty sevens from Qantas are parked. We saw a couple of two or three, maybe more on the, uh, on the airport property there. And this one wasn't there at the time, obviously, because this was still doing all their joy flights and stuff like that. But, uh, anyway, thought that was kind of sad seeing them just sitting there rotting away. Anyway, um, Steve writes, this is an interesting one. Steve says, hi guys. Love your show. Have been listening for quite a while now. I saw this on my Instagram feed from a friend and wondered if you had seen it. If not, I thought you'd enjoy it. Uh, you've probably seen this, but I don't remember hearing you discuss it, so I thought I'd pass it on. Uh, it's video from uh, Instagram, and it's uh, it was a, a hawker, a hawker. Um, it was a drug runner's hawker found in the jungle on a dirt strip, according to the poster, and the Guatemalan Air Force flew it out. I'm a private pilot and travel photographer who was traveling on airlines for business at least twice a month before this crisis started, and always hoped to run into one of you at the, an airport one day. Hopefully, eventually we will all start flying again soon. Yeah, we're all hoping that. Fingers crossed. My best to you all, and keep up the fantastic show. Anyway, enjoy this incredible takeoff. All right, so here we go again. We're going to share the screen, and it's again from Instagram. Oh yeah, Indy? oh this is this
3: is yeah, great. When, this is a good one. When he hits the big bump about <laughs> halfway down,
2: this looks kind of crazy went, to me. Whoa! Actually, I know. Here we go. You ready? Looks
3: like fun. I don't know.
2: Starting it. Helicopter in the background. Yeah. <laughs> no! Almost looks like that could have easily gone bad, like out of control when it hit that bump.
4: Well, it's not yeah. super wide and it's a no. really, really rough no, I'm, runway. one so bad bounce. Collapse.
2: Here comes the helicopter chasing after it. Anyway, I guess these videos loop in Instagram. So, uh, uh
3: it was yes. absolutely fantastic watching that. I, I, first of all, I didn't think it was real. I thought it was one of those, you know, mock ups. But when it flew past, I was going,
2: oh, yeah, it's <laughs> real. really. <brilliant." laughs> it's not one of those, you know, radio control model things.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought, it
2: okay. does kind of look like it, though, the way it's kind of bouncing around. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I hope they put their gum shields in when they took, you know, started rolling because. I lost my
2: teeth on that <laughs> one. Well, thank you, Steve, for um, sharing that with us again. That's Steve uh, Santacore, or Santacor. I don't know how you pronounce his name. Santa Claus? No, 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 Santa. Oh, okay. Yes, He's from Italy.
3: <laughs> oh, nice. I like Italy. Italy is one of my
2: favorite holiday destinations. It's it's a very Italian place. It is. Do great um, pizza. I'll bet they do. Um, should we have, do we have time to do another one before we do the Yeah, we got, uh, six, we got minutes. six minutes. Okay. So let's do this from Nick Nack Jack. I haven't heard from him in a while. He sent us some audio feedback.
6: Hey, PG crew. It's Nick Nack Jack checking in uh, flight level 360 on an Airbus A330 uh, flying in my flight sim from San Francisco to Seoul. Um, I wanted to uh, check in, first of all, because I haven't checked in in a long, long time. Um, and uh, uh, welcome, Miami, Rick, back to the podcast. It's great to hear your voice again, Rick, and to hear your stories of great Dog and it around the world. Um, I also want to comment on the retirement of the Mad Dog and the 747. Um, the 747 was... Uh, One of my favorite aircraft is one of my favorite aircraft. Um, My first international flight as a passenger in the real world was in a Qantas 747 uh, from uh, LAX to Melbourne uh, back in the spring of 2001 before um, restrictions got tight and all that. Um, Very fondly remember that flight um, and a couple of other subsequent flights I had in the 747-400, um, so it's sad to see more and more airlines retiring it, um, most recently BA, though I'm sure um, many, uh, many other airplane airlines will subsequently retire it. Um, also see the sad to see the Mad Dog go. Um, I had a couple flights in my life as a real passenger on uh, a Mad Dog. Can't say it was my favorite airplane as a passenger, um, but uh, from a systems perspective and a kind of old-school steam gauge uh, airline operations perspective, it certainly was an interesting aircraft, um, and I'm sad to see it go. Uh, and I'm, of course, sadder to hear about all the displacements, um, particularly Captain Dana and Captain Jeff. Uh, Captain Jeff, I have a simulated version of the 717 that I am learning, and... Um, I think you'll like the aircraft from everything I've heard. It's, you know, it's an MD-95, basically. Um, so it's just got the, you know, the screens as opposed to the steam gauges and, you know, the cold-fired stuff. So um, it's, it's a seems a similar aircraft from everything I understand. And uh, it's an interesting aircraft to fly. Um, I'm definitely learning a lot as I uh, figure out how to fly it on uh short elevator flights up and down California. Captain Dana, if you're listening, I wish you the best of luck in your 737 training. Um, I have spent a lot of time in the simulated 737, which, of course, is not the same. Um, But I think you'll find, um, you know, the biggest drawback is obviously the confined uh, flight deck. But aside from that, the airplane itself, I think you'll find that it's similar to the mad dog in a lot of ways in that it's a classic design that has been updated with modern avionics. Um, and it's, you know, like, like Rick has said, it's a triple seven style avionics. Um, you do have to do manual generators and manual pack selection, etc. but, um, it's an interesting aircraft and it's, uh, the aircraft I virtually cut my teeth on. So, uh, good luck to you dana i wish you the best and i wish the best to everyone that has been um dramatically affected by what we're currently going through um in their job either in the airlines or where whatever work you may be doing uh, finally on a lighter note um i want to say that i have gone to the dark side nick i'm with you all the
2: oh and then the rest of the file is corrupted wish i could play the rest Oh that's such a shame. Yeah, I don't, I I don't just know, know what, looking forward to hearing don't know what happens next bit. <laughs> hey, oh wait a minute. Let me see if I can fix it.
6: way, <laughs> I love the Airbus. I have uh, Ray, no, I, sorry, Ray. it's not working. <laughs> been training myself on the three twenty and the three thirty. Uh, I've got my eye on the three fifty. Absolutely love it. Um, so Rick, I'm sorry, I've gone to the dark side, I can't go back. Um if uh, anybody wants to check out my flight simming adventures, fsridealong.com uh, is my website. And uh, I hope to check in again in the future. I love the podcast, of course, um, and it keeps me happy as I'm doing both long haul and short haul simulated flights. So take care, you guys. Thanks.
2: Well, that's why we're here, Nick, Jack, to keep people happy, or at least we try. So, and we are happy to be. Absolutely.
3: Here. I, I'm so pleased you're enjoying flying the Airbus. It has a lot of great uh, advantages. Uh, and so long as you're actually flying it and not just pushing the takeoff button. <laughs> I was going to say
2: the experience.
4: It sounded like a very, very quiet flight deck yeah. on the simulated
3: version
2: of the Very, everything. I and mean, he was, what was he And uh, to begin with, a 330? Um, somewhere at 36,000 mm-hmm. feet on the way to Seoul? you're Mm -hmm. right it does sound very very quiet very quiet Uh,
3: i can hear a pin drop (laughs) Uh hey
2: so i when i was listening to the feedback he he was talking about the mad dogs and such and and uh, i guess I was a little grumpy when i was listening to this i said i i need to set the record straight the acme the acme mad dogs did not have steam gauges. I know everybody always said that, but they didn't. They have EFIS glass panel displays, just like the 757s and 767s flying around today. The early versions of the Mad Dogs, uh, like the ones the, that American flew, um, did have the, uh, the steam gauges. Um, but by the time Acme ordered the jet, it had been fitted with more advanced avionics. The 717 has an advanced flight deck modeled after the MD-11 and 777. Uh, it has six 8-by-8-inch eight eight liquid crystal displays on the instrument panel from the heart of the new advanced flight deck. The uh, primary flight display combines all the primary flight information previously presented. Are you reading the brochure? I'm reading what I wrote down in the uh, show notes. <laughs> this is... This is what I wrote down.
0: Yeah, it's the sales (laughs) pitch. The the PFD combines
2: all the primary flight information presented uh, by the six round dial instruments used in traditional older electromechanical flight decks. Attitude, airspeed, altitude, and heading presentations retaining the uh, basic T arrangement of traditional flight decks. So basically anybody that's flying a more modern uh, airplane with a more modern displays will, you know, it's the same Mm -hmm. primary flight display that the uh, 717 has in it. Um, So. Uh, that'll be uh, kind of nice to have. And the, and the other nice thing about it is that, and I have a picture that I threw here in as well uh, from actually a, a simulated uh, 717 um, cockpit panel, but with the with the six screens laid basically horizontally from left to right. Um, it'll be nice to not having, have to look around my yoke to see <laughs> the navigation display, which was much smaller and was like right behind the yoke. It was not a good place for, you know, you kind of have to go, you know, like look around, look around the corner sometimes to see it. But, uh, anyway, um, so Nicholas continues, uh, something I forgot to include knowing there are other flight sim fanatics in the community. I was wondering if someone had made an Acme airlines livery for any of the popular flight sims, it would be a joy to fly around in an Acme giant Acme red, or just plain Acme aircraft. You know, somebody, I think it was, um, Jim, um, that did our um, APG, uh, I mean, uh, Acme Air logo. Um, he played around and put some liveries on some some jets, but it was it wasn't related to flight simming software. So. But I bet but
3: you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed what it is because you, you remember the plane tale I told a while ago that was all about the Canadian MiG 21, mm-hmm. of course, that was a April Fool. People have actually uh, created uh, flight sim skins for those aircraft with all those mock markings on, which I think is hilarious because a lot of people still don't realize it was an April Fool's job. Wait,
2: what? It was an April Fool's job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Jocularity. Anyway, I'm sure that uh, you know. Maybe somebody out there has. If you're listening and you've done that, uh, would you please let us all know, and then we can point people in your direction, and they can. Yeah. Get the- can you put it on airbus on as well? Yeah. Please. Absolutely. Why would you want to put it on anything else? <laughs> um, anyways, thanks for keeping me informed and entertained as I fly the virtual skies. This is Nicholas Jackson, aka Nick Nack Jack. And again, his website, FS for Flight Sim, ride along.com. From the Nick Nack Jack Podcast Network. Ooh, got a whole network. Good man. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that means now it's about time for the best part of the show, which, of course, everybody knows, is this week's installment of The Old Pilots' Plane Tales. And uh, this week's version is entitled The Son of Enola Tibbets." Here we go. The
3: Old Pilots' Plane Tales. The Son of Enola Tibbets. He's dead now, but you'll find no stone to mark his grave since he has neither grave nor marker, which is a little odd for a much-decorated American hero who fought for his country with outstanding bravery. But it was his wish, and his family accepted that. Paul Warfield Tibbets originally came from Quincy, Illinois, but his family moved around until they settled for a while in Florida. His father, Paul Tibbetts Sr., sold confectionery, which would make him any boy's dream father, but Paul Jr. was interested in flying. By the age of 12, he was helping out in an old wacko flown by Doug Davis as part of his flying circus, throwing out candy bars fitted with tiny parachutes into the crowd of onlookers below. It made a big impression on the youngster, and he later said, From that day on, I knew I had to fly. Back on the move, Tibbetts attended the Western Military Academy and then the University of Florida. But his interest in aviation continued, and he took flying lessons at Miami's Opeloka Airport, although his intended profession at this time was as a surgeon. However... Before he completed his studies at the University of Cincinnati, he decided to enlist in the U.S. Army and become a pilot in the Army Air Corps. With his background, Paul had been able to get into the aviation cadet training program, which gave him an edge, and during his Army flight training, he was assessed as an above-average pilot and commissioned as a second lieutenant. Training complete, He was assigned to the 16th Observation Squadron, which supported the infantry school at the nearby Fort Benning. In his private life, he had fallen in love with his bride-to-be, Lucy, and they were married at the Holy Trinity Roman Catholic Seminary. His promotion continued initially to First Lieutenant and then to Captain, and he was selected to be a personal pilot for Brigadier General George Patton. With the United States' involvement in World War II approaching, Tibbets was transferred to fly large bombers, initially the A-20 Havoc and then the B-17 Flying Fortress. He was expecting to go to MacDill Field when the Japanese raid on Pearl Harbour brought the country to a war footing. With submarine attacks expected, he soon found himself flying anti-submarine patrols out of Pope Army Airfield in B-18 bolos instead. 1942 saw Tibbets being given the command of the 340th Bombardment Squadron and they deployed with their B-17s to join the 8th Air Force in England, operating out of RAF Polbrook. They were part of the 97th Bombardment Group, which had been hastily assembled there to fulfil the needs for high-altitude daylight bombing, a mission for which they had had little training. The Royal Air Force, keen to assist, provided veteran instructors to give some help, but being the first group to be deployed to fight the war in Europe, they were very much the pathfinders for the Army Air Force in this theatre. Pretty soon, Paul Tibbetts was made second in command of the group, and he found himself flying the lead bomber, the Butcher Shop, on their first raid against the rail marshalling yard in Rouen, France. It was a success, despite the fact that he wasn't with his regular crew, nor in his own aircraft. Within a few weeks, Tibbets flew another groundbreaking mission when he led the first American raid of over 100 aircraft aircraft, TO ATTACK INDUSTRIAL TARGETS IN THE FRENCH CITY OF LILLE THEY WERE CONTINUALLY HARRIED BY GERMAN FIGHTERS RESULTING IN THE LOSS OF 33 OUT OF THE 108 AIRCRAFT THAT PARTICIPATED AND BOMBING ACCURACY WAS POOR FOR THE FIRST TIME PAUL SAW THE DAMAGE THEY DID WHEN NOT HITTING THE TARGET BUT BOMBING INNOCENT FRENCH CIVILIANS AND HE FACED THE DILEMMA THAT TROUBLED MANY IN TIMES OF WAR These people don't have any business getting killed, he thought. They aren't soldiers. He debated with himself on the morals of warfare, and came to the conclusion that he was supposed to be a bomber pilot and was there to destroy a target. I wouldn't be worth anything if I didn't do that. He made up his mind, then, that the morality of dropping that bomb was not his business. When he was instructed to perform a military mission, that was the thing he was going to do to the best of his ability. In the lead-up to the Allied invasion of North Africa, the commander of the Eighth Air Force was ordered to provide his two best pilots for a secret mission. Tibbetts was one of those chosen and he flew Major General Clark to Gibraltar and later he repeated the flight with the Supreme Allied Commander, Lieutenant General Eisenhower, on board. Historian Stephen Ambrose described Tibbets as, by reputation, the best flyer in the Army Air Force. In North Africa, as part of Major General Jimmy Doolittle's 12th Air Force, he participated in much fierce fighting against heavily defended objectives to pave the way for Allied landings. By now Tibbets had received a field promotion to Colonel, but it was blocked by the Assistant Chief of Staff of Operations, where he had now been assigned, saying there was only going to be one Colonel in operations. When the Chief of the Army Air Forces asked for an experienced pilot to help develop the new B-29 Superfortress, Jimmy Doolittle recommended Tibbets. so Paul found himself back in the States, working with Boeing in Wichita. He flew many hours on the new aircraft, more than any other pilot, and he contributed a great deal to the success of the bomber. His experience led to a recommendation that he join the Manhattan Project, the allied group who were developing the world's first atomic bomb. Finally promoted to colonel, Tibbetts was given the task of creating the 509th Composite Group, a completely self-contained organisation of 1,800 men with 15 B-29s. Its importance became apparent by the priority that was given to the vast array of military stores they needed. Already working at high levels of secrecy, within the 509th, a group of hand-picked specialists known as the First Ordnance, who were skilled with metallurgy, were tasked with building the first bombs, whilst Project Alberta became the group who dealt with the problems of delivery. Already a conventional bomb, made to the same dimensions and weight of the Fat Man atomic bomb, had been created, known as the Pumpkin these provided realistic training for the men redesigning the forward bomb bay of the B-29 and the crews training to drop it. The aircraft modified to carry the huge weapon were part of the Silver Plated Project, later shortened to Silver Plate, a term that encompassed the training as well. Thin Man and Fat Man code names were adopted for the weapons themselves. A cover story was devised that Silverplate was all about modifying a Pullman railway car for use by President Franklin Roosevelt, thin man, and the United Kingdom's Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, fat man, on a secret tour of the United States. On the 16th of July 1945, the Gadget... The nickname given to the first test nuclear weapon was hoisted to the top of a hundred foot tower and detonated. It produced the equivalent of twenty kilotons of TNT, and the shock wave was felt over a hundred miles away. To explain away that, in the mushroom cloud that reached over seven miles into the clear sky, a cover story about an ammunition magazine explosion at Almagordo Field was issued. Oppenheimer, who led the team of scientists who developed the weapon, wrote that he knew the world would not be the same. A few people laughed, a few people cried, most were silent. He remembered a line from Hindu scripture, Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another, he said. By now Tibbetts and his team had been moved to an airfield on the island of Tinian, part of the Mariana group, where they set up the necessary facilities to assemble and deliver the weapon. They had a number of concerns, not the least of which was the reliability of the B-29. They'd been conducting attacks on Japan, dropping the conventionally armed pumpkin bombs, which contained a mere three tonnes of high explosive, when one fell through the closed bomb bay doors of the B-29 onto the taxiway in a shower of sparks as the aircraft named Strange Cargo prepared for takeoff firefighters managed to douse the weapon with foam and it didn't detonate, but then, within a period of only a week, four B-29s crashed and burned on the runway. If this happened to one carrying an atomic bomb, it could easily detonate with catastrophic consequences. From then on, it was decided to load the breech of the atomic weapon once the B-29 was in flight. The target choice was passed down without Tibbet's involvement, but the day before, as final preparations were made, he decided to name his aircraft Enola Gay after his mother. He had personally selected the aircraft when it was still on the assembly line in Bellevue, Nebraska, but was now on the other side of the globe and tomorrow... He would fly it on this vital mission. Tibbetts had decided to fly the mission at late notice, and he moved the regular aircraft commander into the co pilot's position, taking command himself. On the 6th of August 1945, Colonel Tibbets took off from Tinian in Enola Gay, accompanied by two other B 29s, an instrumentation and a photographic aircraft. For the six-hour flight to Hiroshima. They arrived overhead on a clear day at 31,000 feet. About an hour earlier, the B-29 straight flush had flown over the target and broadcast a short message. Cloud cover less than three-tenths at all altitudes. Advice, bomb primary. The air raid warning had sounded in Hiroshima for the previous overflight but then gave the all clear. Tibbetts handed control of the aircraft to the Bombardier, who was going to guide the B-29 over the final few miles. At 8.15 in the morning, he released the weapon. The little boy took 44 seconds to fall from the aircraft before the 141 pounds, 64 kilos, of uranium-235 was detonated at a little below 2,000 feet over the city, a mere 800 feet from its aiming point. By the time the shockwave reached Enola Gay, it was around 11 miles past the release point. The detonation was remarkably inefficient, releasing energy from only 1.7% of its fissionable material but even this was equivalent to 16,000 metric tons of TNT. The radius of total destruction was about a mile but intense fires broke out from the thermal blast covering an area of 4.5 square miles. Some 70. To 80,000 people, around 30% of the population, were killed by the blast and resulting firestorm. The same number were injured. Japanese officials determined that 69% of the buildings in Hiroshima were destroyed. The Japanese 2nd Army were conducting physical training barely 900 yards, less than a kilometre, from ground zero. 3,243 troops were killed. Twelve captured American airmen being held in a police headquarters were killed, most instantly from the blast, but two survived to be stoned to death by local populace. Eight US prisoners of war, killed during medical experiments as part of a programme in the local university, had their deaths blamed on the attack as an attempted cover-up. Sixteen hours later, while still coming to terms with the attack, the Japanese heard from President Truman. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a rain of ruin from the air, the like of which has never been seen on this earth. Over time and to this very day arguments have gained and lost support on the ethical, legal, moral and military justification for the use of this nuclear weapon as new evidence has become available and as new studies have been completed. It remains the subject of both popular and scholarly debate. Some think that Japan would not have surrendered unless there was an overwhelming demonstration of destructive capability. Those who oppose the bombing argue that it was militarily unnecessary and a naval blockade and conventional bombings would have forced Japan to surrender. Colonel Tibbetts said that he knew when he got the assignment it was going to be an emotional thing. We had feelings, but we had to put them in the background. We knew it was going to kill people right and left, but my one driving interest was to do the best job I could so that we could end the killing as quickly as possible. I sleep clearly every night. His career continued apace with many key positions, such as the air attaché in London and a director in the Strategic Air Division. He served as the B-47 Stratojet project officer before commanding the 308th Bombardment Wing and at the close of his career being promoted to Brigadier General and assigned to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. In retirement he contributed to films and books about his part in the conclusion of the Second World War, something that occasionally caused contention, but he was unapologetic about the part he played. He denounced the Smithsonian's 50th anniversary exhibition of the Enola Gay, calling it a big damned insult. The director of the National Air and Space Museum was compelled to resign over the controversy. Paul Tibbetts died in 2007. Concerned that his grave might become a place of protest or desecration, He asked that he be cremated and his ashes scattered over the English Channel, the body of water that spelt safety as he returned from his many wartime missions in his B-17 Red Gremlin. Whenever I visit the south coast, which I do often, and look out across the Channel, I shall ponder the life of this fine pilot. Unable to seek eternal rest, beneath the gravestone bearing his name
2: wow another very well done <clears throat> plain tale um and that's a tough one that that was a um, an amazing Part of our history
3: it, it was, and it's very hard now to make comments without sounding glib, but what I wanted to do really was point out how this mission and the aftermath all these years uh, past uh, affected this one man who was the pilot and the the brave, a very brave and very highly decorated. World War II pilot, who flew this final mission. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was this that um, led him to ask his family not to mark his place of rest, but to scatter his ashes in the English Channel. And that is the aspect that I find so tragic about the story. And I know there is something else that is vastly more tragic and that is the fact that we were at war in the first place and people were dying uh, in vast numbers um, but i just wanted to isolate this one sad fact out of this mission and that was how it affected paul Tibbetts, uh right up to his death
2: now am i to understand that he could have based on his position as basically running the entire squadron he could have stayed back at Guam, right? He didn't have to be in the actual airplane that dropped the bomb, correct?
3: Oh, no. In fact, his decision to fly that mission uh, was only taken uh, a few days prior. And um, the captain or the commander of the mission, whose aircraft it was, uh, was actually a bit upset that uh, he was pushed into the co-pilot seat and his aircraft was renamed Enola Gay and uh, Tibbetts decided himself to take that responsibility on his shoulders and uh, fly that mission. So he didn't need to put that upon himself, but I suspect his feeling of duty um, uh, put him in that position. So, uh, you know, I think he was a very honorable man, and uh, he stuck by his guns even through the, the decades afterwards where he was a center point of... a all this controversy concerning Anola uh, Gay and the dropping of the nuclear weapons uh, on Japan, and it's something that will never be resolved because there are always going to be two divergent points of view, uh, and it'd be very hard to bring those two together. But I suspect as time goes by, uh, people will be less emotional about it. And, think more about uh, how it brought that war to a very quick close and might well have prevented uh, many, many more deaths that would have occurred otherwise. Other people have other opinions, but I think that's my opinion. I'm a military man, and I see it from a military man's point of view. I do too,
2: and what I see is that is a great example of leadership who basically yeah, took it upon himself, so. the responsibility mm-hmm. to do it.
3: Yeah. And it's his face that led the crew, uh, even though he didn't actually drop the bomb. Uh, it was his bombardier that did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he was there in all the pictures, and uh, you see him as, as the pilot of the aircraft, and he's the one that, that kind of carries it, carried the weight of the mission on his shoulders.
2: Yeah. What's really sad is he had his ashes dumped over something that's English and not American. No. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
3: I'm very proud of that. Now, a, I know, sounds like he had I know you're just making a joke, but I'm actually very proud that this man felt that that little bit of water uh, just it's safe you know, yeah. only 30 miles away from me yeah. is where he chose to have his ashes scattered. And I,
2: I'm, I think that's brilliant. Obviously, it was great um, significance uh, to him.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I suspect as he fought his way back, from uh, b- bombing missions over uh, France and Germany, uh, in his B seventeen, uh, with you know one of those vast form daylight formations being harried by fighters the whole way. The arrival of the Channel uh, meant that at least the enemy action was over. All they had to do now was find their base and, if the weather was okay, yeah. <laughs> safely land. Well, it's always so, a sunny day as there, we know that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as we know from previous play tales. Uh, a huge number of uh, lives were lost just in that those final miles. Sure, sure. But, uh, yeah, I know. But mm-hmm. brave people, very brave people. Yeah.
4: Like you said, well-known, but, you know, you definitely found a way to, you know, highlight lesser-known bits and salient bits. So, thanks.
3: Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That was exactly my aim.
2: I had no idea. we. you? Dropped a bomb on Japan. That's, uh, it was interesting stuff. That's all new to me.
3: <laughs> Just kidding. Now, you, do you, do you remember gonna, that bit I was saying about glib comments?
4: <laughs> I'm joking, by the way.
2: Please don't send any negative, v- uh, feedback regarding yeah. that. I'm
4: offended <laughs> at airlinepilotguy.com.
3: Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
2: All right. Um, you ever heard of this guy named George Nolly? Sure. I think he, Ready for he does a, time. he does a, yeah. uh, a podcast, Ready for Takeoff podcast. He, um, Apparently is uh, getting caught up in the show. He sent us three pieces of feedback. When it when it rains, it pours in a good way. So uh, I put all these together, or Liz did actually. Um, so let's start off with the first one. During World War II, Bob Hoover escaped from POW camp. Oh, I think this was in regard to uh, we were talking about the, uh, the the we're on fire, the forest is on fire. Got to get into an airplane we'd never flown before. And, uh, and fly it. How are we going to do that? Remember that on a few episodes back?
3: Yeah, yep, yep. So, mate, okay. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. So it says Bob.
3: We, I decided to start the engines. Yeah, the yeah we couldn't figure out
2: how to start the engines. <laughs> well, make it feel even worse, this guy named Bob Hoover, never heard of him. Who? <laughs> yeah. Escaped from a POW camp and stole a German airplane and flew it back to England. Uh,
4: now, I'd be a little worried if he wasn't able to do that, To be to be honest. Yeah,
2: true uh
3: well I don't know how they started those some of them they had big flywheels you had to crank and get enough inertia to it start kicking this engine over. I don't even know how these things started
2: I don't either uh, well apparently Bruce Carr stole a German plane and flew it back to safety and uh, why didn't he take a car I don't know he should have <laughs> but <Badoom>, bam <laughs> And in Vietnam, this is interesting, I stole, this is George, I stole a MiG-21 and flew it back to Da Nang. But that was only in my dreams. (laughs) (laughs) It's also in my upcoming novel. Did I mention that George, not only is he a podcast host, a great one, but he is also a great novelist, writer, writer. And uh, he has a, a series of, um, of novels that he's already written. The Hamfist series, I believe it's called. Um, George Nolly, Ready for Takeoff podcast. Let's continue with the second one that he sent us. Um, another great episode. Thank you, George. Regarding 250 knots below 10,000, it came about as a result of the collision between UAL 826 and TWA 266. I remember it well because although I was a kid at the time, My uncle had been working in downtown Manhattan when it occurred, and pieces of the wreckage came down very close to his location. I talked about several accidents, including this, in Ready for Takeoff podcast episode 36. Uh, We'll have that link in the show notes for you. I include the accident report in the show notes, and you can see the 250 below 10 requirement as item 6 on page 25. Dan Hampton, author of numerous great books, including Lords of the Sky, is my guest on Ready for Takeoff podcast episode 27. Dan lives here in Colorado, and I've known him for several years. Although he writes mostly nonfiction, I'm partial to his novel, The Mercenary. And uh, he gave us a link to that on Amazon. So uh, looks like a bunch of great books to check out and podcast episodes from Ready for Takeoff. And then finally... We were talking about uh, missiles and and proximity detonations and that sort of thing on a previous show, and he said, surface-to-air missiles, SAMs, definitely have the capability for proximity detonations, and 38 years ago, my element lead and I ops-checked it and got confirmation. My element lead got hit with shrapnel from a proximity burst and was pissing fuel, oil, and hydraulic fluid, but still flying. And made it all the way back from North Vietnam to Da Nang. I describe the mission and Sam hit in chapters 49 and 50 of Hamfist Over Hanoi, which is book three of the Hamfist trilogy, which is in the APG library. He said, thanks. Unlike some of the other stories in the series, the events of July 3rd, 1972, in the book are totally true, exactly as I remember them. And of course, your listeners can download Hamfist Over Hanoi in Kindle format for less than the price of a grande at Starbucks. And he goes, shameless plug. (laughs) George, you can plug your stuff here anytime you want.
3: Uh, So check out his Mm -hmm. great
2: books and links that he left us, uh, especially to the links of the ready for takeoff podcast episodes cited. Thanks, George. Item 13 hotel kilo Hamish he, I think he's thinking he's sending this to a different podcast because here we actually use yes. names. I, yeah, oh. yeah. So let me.
4: Yeah, we can we can use your real. name. So I'm going to
2: call him Hamish, which I don't believe is his real name, but maybe it is. Um, he's he's a very private man. Apparently, he doesn't want to. You know, can you really blame him? He doesn't want anybody to know that he's <laughs> listening to our show. <laughs> I I hide my identity. Too. I know you do. Oh wait. <laughs> Her name really isn't stuff. No. Okay. Isn't this okay? So great show. I think he's talking about the episode where we talked about the, um, uh, human error, uh, to blame for downing of Ukrainian jet, uh, the, um, uh, or the Iranian, um, military uh, launched a surface to air missile and shot down the Ukrainian, uh, airlines flight. He said, Isn't this another Kogan Air or Air France 447 lack of basic skills? Also, the same airline who, after a failed first attempt and go around at Dutch Harbor, runway 13, runway, or excuse me, flight 3296, lost control. And actually, they overran the end of the runway while landing with a tailwind of 20 knots. And no, that was um, the uh, airline there was um, ERA Aviation, ERA, and it's been renamed. Corvus. No, I'm sorry. Pan Air is the airline, uh, that operated the, uh, Dutch Harbor, uh, runway overrun. And on June 1st of last year, uh, they ceased direct ticket sales under its own brand. And from that day, all Pan Air flights are marketed and sold using Raven, Alaska flight numbers. Uh, the, uh, lack of pilot skills, um, that we were talking the episode or the incident that we were talking about or to which he's referring, I believe is the um, ones where the guys were paying so close attention to icing and that kind of thing. And the airplane stalled and they lost what, 5,000 feet or something before they were able to recover from it. That was era or ERA aviation, which has been renamed Corvus airlines and currently does business as Raven, Alaska, all those regional airlines, uh, basically feeders for, uh, uh, Alaska airlines. And then he gives us a whole list of incidents and airlines and flight numbers and dates and stuff like that, that I'm not going to read out because even he says in his feedback, uh, too many to read out for info only. Anyway, um, he continues appalling waste of life after the Russian shoot down of Malaysia airlines flight 17, there is such a cheap salute. So now he's referring to the uh, downing of the Ukrainian jet. Okay. So maybe I kind of uh, conflated some of these things here. So um, so he's talking about the downing of the Ukrainian jet, appalling waste of life. After the Russian shoot down of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, there is such a cheap, cheap solution. Flight radar 24, free info on airline flights. It should be mandatory for all air defense worldwide. Well, I don't know if you're going to convince the Iranian military that they should get their subscriptions to flight radar 24 uh, to get,
3: I don't think you're going to get any military <laughs> I know. to uh, use that, to, uh, the basis on whether it would be a good idea to shoot someone down or not. That
2: should be part of the actual um, uh, targeting computer system and for analyzing friend or foe and that, that sort of thing. That it's probably a lot better yeah. than an ADS B box. <laughs>
3: Don't. Well, yeah. So, I yeah, I think the, the military needs something that's uh, absolutely cast iron. And uh, if all else fails, if they're not absolutely convinced, they're just going to fire anyway if they uh, think it's uh, justified. Yeah. So um, uh, these countries, uh, even, I have to say, even the United States uh, occasionally makes mistakes. Everyone has, in a, in a conflict, blue-on-blue mm-hmm. um, uh, attacks. Uh, so it doesn't matter how sophisticated your gear is, uh, it's often down to the operator's interpretation of it. And uh, it, it, mistakes happen. Uh, people don't want to take life unless they have to. Yep. Um, so it's not like it's done deliberately, but it's often a limitation of the equipment yep. uh, and the environment.
2: And now a big part of it was the miscalibration setup of the, of the, the uh Surface-to-air missile system to begin with, a hundred and seven degree uh, degrees off on in the initialization. So, anyway, yeah,
3: yeah, mm-hmm. a, a lot, a lot of um, um, missile zones. Uh, if you want to penetrate them, depend on safe lanes. So, uh, if you're not got your equipment set up right, someone could be coming down a safe lane, and you might not uh, see it at the right angle. So, boom, boom,
2: Bob's yep. your uncle. That's yeah. He is. All right. That's part of being at war. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, uh, Tom Seagrave sent Mm -hmm. us some Mm -hmm. feedback. Um,
0: Uncle
2: (laughs) Bob? Bob? Oh, no. No. I'm sorry. That's Uncle Tom. (laughs) Anyway, what does Tom have to say?
7: Hello, APG crew. This is Tom from Columbia, Missouri. I was just listening to episode 433 and uh your news story about aeroflot um got me thinking when when captain jeff when when you mentioned uh how they filled the to fill the news story they just rewrote a paragraph that said the same thing as the previous paragraph um i thought maybe i would give you guys a little bit uh inside baseball information when it comes to the media Uh, for the last two and a half uh, close to three years now I have been working in uh, television media and I'm currently a uh, newscast director at a local TV station and we are the local affiliate for uh, ABC and Fox here in Columbia Um, I've learned a lot about how the news business works and uh, when you were uh, talking about that Airflot story, and then there's been min- many mentions over the years, over all the APG episodes, about how the media gets things wrong, especially when it comes to aircraft identification. Uh, yes, you are correct. And a little inside baseball information, it really is up to, at a television station, up to the producer, what gets put on the air. And I'm sure it's the same in the newspaper business, or uh, online news business for an editor, also determines what goes live. So uh, how this works is in, the, in TV, the producer will uh, decide, he builds his show or her show, decides what stories they're gonna put where, and then it has to go write that content. Now, that's really for local news. When, when we're talking local news, they'll go in and write the stories and uh, the local reporters will work on those stories. Uh, They'll be given an assignment at the beginning of their shift and they'll turn a story for whatever assignment they're given. And I will say that the local reporters, at least in the station I'm at, uh, because we're a a small to medium market, the reporters for the most part are uh, fairly new, fresh out of college. A lot of times it's their first or second job They're trying to work hard to get to a larger market and of course, make more money. And they're very conscientious about what they put on the air and they want to make sure they get it right. So there's a lot of research in the amount of time they're given, sometimes not as much uh, if they have a tight deadline. And deadlines, everyone lives and dies by those deadlines. So, uh, but now for national news, as an affiliate of major networks, most of that national news is just downloaded and used in spots where, it, where they're looking to fill time. So, you know, they'll have a block of stories with local, then they'll have a block of stories in national. Uh, if there's more local news, then they'll cut some of those national stories out. They'll always leave in the more important national stories. But those national stories, 90% of the time, are written by someone in a faraway place That we know nothing about and they're just uh you know rehashed on our network now um sometimes if they're given a story that's a minute long and they only need to fill 30 seconds they'll go in and they'll rewrite the story and then they'll also uh download video that goes with that story now many times the producer won't know if the video is right or wrong it's what was given to him by The National and so that'll get downloaded as well. So here's a perfect, perfect example. Several months back, one of the producers was doing a story about United Airlines 737 MAX. And it was specifically about United Airlines. And the video that he was given to download for that story was a video of United Airlines 787. So the airplane was wrong. And I said to him before we went on the air, I said, hey, this is not the right airplane. And he said, but it's United Airlines. And I said, yeah, but it's still not the right airplane. And he goes, is anyone going to know? And I said, well, I know. And I guarantee there'll be a lot of people that will know as well. And uh, we were able to find fairly easily, we were able to find 737 United Airlines video, 737 Max United Airlines video, and we were able to put that in place. So, um, a lot of times the producer or the article writer or whoever just does not know, and um, you know there's no time to find an expert, quote unquote, expert to try to uh, verify something. Um, I'd like to think that when it comes to the the important details. And I can attest to this, when it comes to the important stories and the important details, uh, they work really hard to verify things to get it right, at least in the newsroom that I work in. So I will say that. Um, The other thing I wanna let you guys know, uh, and this uh, this is all your fault, and I think it's an extension of the APG syndrome, uh, as a newscast director, as I'm directing a newscast, there's anywhere from four to eight of us on headsets. And we're, all, we're having an ongoing conversation throughout a newscast. And um, it's usually more so whoever the director is saying most of the stuff because we're giving commands to all the production people during a newscast on what needs to be done. And I've gotten to the point where when something is said... Uh, on the headset or a story is read by an anchor um, I've gotten to the point where I will say well I think we got that one at least 50% right (laughs) and now that has become a constant thing that is said on the headset by almost everyone so thank you to the APG syndrome for that extension into my work life the last thing I'll say is Liz if you ever want to be a television news producer come to columbia missouri we will put you uh in a position now you'll have to do it bivocationally because we can't lose you at apg because without you the show would not be what it is and we need to keep you there but you can do that from here as easy as you do it from toronto so if you're ready i'll get you a job as a news producer just let me know guys thanks for all you do Really uh, really enjoy the show, and uh, you guys uh, do a good job. And Dana, I miss you, buddy. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Talk to you guys
4: later.
2: It's all about the 50%.
4: <laughs> hey, if it's good enough for the news, it's good enough for exactly.
3: us. Yeah. <laughs> Have they not heard of Google? <laughs> What's that? To Have they not heard of the- Google?
4: Well, oh, you believe everything you see on the internet? Google Eyes gives yeah, you Yeah, right I know,
3: but... It- but if you if you get like 10 pictures and they all look the same and they're all one aircraft then you think oh that's probably that's probably right. Yeah, you
2: see people that are not not pilots or aviation geeks as we are, they don't who cares, you know an airplane's an airplane it doesn't matter. I mean,
4: they really have no I idea. love the
2: response. Well, it's a United. It's like that doesn't matter. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> yeah, he goes, "Yeah, well I do." And there are a lot of people out there that will know that that's the wrong thing. Mm. And they're going to be bitching. bitching. Yeah.
4: <laughs> they're just going to go. Gash. Yeah. Those idiots. Yeah, face
2: palm. Yeah. Great feedback. Thank you, Tom. And uh, no, you cannot have Liz. Sorry. She stays. I here.
4: probably shouldn't extend that 50% to remark into my line
2: of work though. Yeah. And the, uh, yeah.
4: I'll get about 50% it, right.
2: <laughs> it doesn't work in all <laughs> professions in all professions. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work so great in our, uh, airline pilot profession either only for podcasts (laughs) all right uh thanks again tom in columbia missouri um private pilot rich sent us um a short audio feedback
5: greetings apg crew private pilot rich here i was fascinated listening to captain jeff's and steven's monologues as they drove across the country. When you drove through Death Valley, I figured you went right past Furnace Creek Airport. I landed there many years ago in my Piper Cherokee. It's L06 on the FAA identifier. The reason I went there is it's the lowest altitude airport I've ever landed at. It is minus 211 feet. I was wondering what the lowest altitude airport you've ever landed at. I figured Miami Rick has the record for the highest altitude airport with his travels in South America. But what is the lowest altitude airport you've ever landed at? Mine is 211 feet at Furnace Creek Airport, Death Valley, California. Keep the blue side up, Private Pilot Rich, out.
2: Speaking of the Google, I did a Google search, uh, put in lowest airports in the world and found a table with a bunch of locations with their corresponding elevations. By the way, it says Furnace Creek Airport, um, Inyo County, California. The IATA code is Delta Tango Hotel, Um, but it doesn't have the actual airport code. Uh, I think he said Lima 07 or something like that. Anyway, um, and it has the elevation listed as minus 208 or 208 feet below. But hey, what's three feet? Um, (laughs) That's quite a lot, uh, depending on what
3: you're doing with it.
2: Well, yeah, but we're talking airport elevations here. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, I'm a little suspect of some of the data in this. Um, uh,
3: hang, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. If, yeah. if you flare three feet too late, that could yeah. be quite
2: significant. That is true. But, um, so anyway, to carry on. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, so. <laughs> so on what's this the list, lowest
4: elevation airport you've landed at? It,
2: uh, well, first of all, on this list, the, the number one is, uh, in Masada, Israel, uh, the Dead Sea. At 1,266 feet below sea level. Ooh, wow. That's really low. And the number two is the one that Private Pilot Rich had landed at, the uh, Furnace Creek Airport in the uh, Death Valley. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, which one? Well, mine's you know, not on what, there, but it's the close low? to the top. So, would be. pardon me?
4: Oh, I said the one that I'm thinking of that I've landed at is not on there, but probably cause is it's
2: it? too small to make the, the list. Ocracoke? Okay, and what is the elevation there? Four. Okay. Well, uh, the one that I that comes to mind for me is the New Orleans International Airport, and that is three point seven feet below mm-hmm. sea level, which would be below just. Or
4: above?
2: I'm sorry, above, above, um, and but it's not even on on this list.
4: Yeah, they're it missing would, a lot. I mean, anything would, that's anything that's right on the coast. Is going to be pretty darn close to.
2: And they do have zero. a lot of airports that are on the coast, like Miami and Fort Lauderdale, and others. But yeah, that, that's that's
3: my lowest one apparently. Well, Miami. I think, yep, according to this list.
2: What about um, uh, Amsterdam? Schiphol, that's number ten. Yeah, I've never landed there. Oh really? Huh. No. I thought for sure you would have landed at Schiphol.
3: That's, okay, that's like hop, skip and a jump from here. Why would I yeah. land
2: there? I don't know.
3: I don't know what I was thinking.
2: <laughs> Actually, let me see.
4: Let me see this. Oh, that one's you six. Less than I've got a whole bunch that are like or... less than 10 feet because <clears throat> all the flying I did on in Eastern North Carolina yeah. it's very flat and very close to sea level.
2: Yeah. So I've all my, the lowest airport I think that I've ever landed at is just a couple of feet above sea level, but never any place below sea level. So, no,
3: um, I've never been below sea level.
2: Yeah. So, that's that's what we have to say about that, Private Pilot Rich. But hey, pretty good for uh uh for you to be at the number two mm-hmm. on this list in the world. It's pretty week. amazing.
3: Was it hot? I mean, why is it called Furnace Creek?
2: <laughs> it's it's hot. oh it's very hot. <laughs> it's definitely it's, it's 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 because you feel like you're in a furnace. You really do. Yeah. It's really I'm just, hot.
3: I'm just thinking like its elevation is rather negated by the temperature of the air. When you're working out, uh, you you know, field uh, runs, field elevation, density, air yeah. density.
4: Oh yeah. yeah, it's not a. The, I'm sure the air, the density altitude is quite well. That I don't was the term I was looking
3: forward to someone coming up with but as I blundered around there. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Steph. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Quickly, let's see. We have a few minutes. Uh, how long? We have is... got
3: to seven minutes.
2: Okay, Uh, then we have long enough to uh, hear some audio feedback from Vernon Tryon.
0: Greetings, APG crew. This is Vernon Tryon. And I've said before that old controllers never die. They just lose their radar contact. Well, at least you think I need to get a life. I've long thought of stories of how controllers can use the phonetic alphabet to tell a story. Such as when talking to planes whose numbers end with the Romeo, Juliet, Hotel, and Whiskey, one could say, Hey, Romeo, and Juliet, how about after work we meet at the hotel and put down some whiskey together? Well, here is my phonetic alphabet story of the APG crew during the COVID 19 times. <clears throat> the pack is led by an alpha type guy whose singing voice is so grand when he enters the room, everyone stands up and cheers, Bravo! His name is Charlie. I think his middle name is Jeff. And he dreams of being a Delta Airlines pilot. His voice is so rich, he has been known to stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon. I don't know if it's the north, south, east, or west rim. (laughs) And belt out tunes in his tenor voice just because he loves to hear the, wait for it, echo. (laughs) Then there's Dana, who's taking a break from the crew right now and... I don't blame you for doing that, Dana. In the evenings, he and Julie are taking Foxtrot lessons. and During the day, he's working on his golf swing. Meanwhile, Miami Rick is holed up in a hotel with his coloring book somewhere in India. And then there's Juliet, who's putting down kilos of beer somewhere in Lima, Peru, half a world away, waiting for the guy to meet the guy with rickets. Then there's main man Mike, who celebrates his birthday in November along with his twin brother Oscar. Incidentally, his birthday is also the same month. They're planning an outing with their papa to celebrate their birthdays in Quebec. A skydiver named Romeo has enticed Dr. Steph and Liz, to meet him somewhere in the Sierra Mountains to take tango lessons from a laid-off airline captain who's wearing his uniform. Then there's Victor, a retired CFI and former air traffic controller, who's met up with Captain Nick to drink whiskey in one of the favorite watering holes that you've recently heard about because he wanted to learn how to tell old pilot stories like Nick does. But alas, when he needed to go to the bathroom, LL was in there, so he had to use the one downstairs. He fell down the stairs and needed, an you guessed it, an x-ray on his injured knee. At which time, Nick stated that he knew that that Yankee could not hold his liquor. Victor was so embarrassed that he went to live with the Zulu people and hasn't been heard <laughs> from since. So, my wonderful APG friends, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I hope it gave you a chuckle or two, and I wish that you all could be airborne soon. This is Vernon Tryon, retired CFI and former air traffic controller in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Keep up the good work in these trying times, you all. Over and out. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Bravo Very nice yeah. job. That was yeah, that Isn't it wonderful applause.
3: to see All those years of training not put to waste <laughs> well done,
2: Very very well done And, and of course his, uh, his Signature uh, music in the background When he's doing mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. Uh, recording Which he knows that I expect that So Anyway Great, great job Vernon Thank you very much uh, just quickly, I think we can knock out the last two here um, and it might go a little bit long, but we're close. Um, Stu writes in from Edmonton, Canada, had a great Uber flight home this evening uh, after meeting friends for dinner, got into the Uber and the heavily accented gentleman and I were exchanging pleasantries. I asked him how his day was going, et cetera. And then he told me that he was bored because he's a pilot and he can't fly right now, which I immediately attributed to the domestic and international furlough of crews. But no, Uber pilot tells me he flies the 747 for Emirates and can't get a Canadian license because he can't speak English very well. So after three glasses of my favorite Malbec, I assumed my head was foggy and asked him, you know, how does that work when the standard aviation language is English? Apparently he gets his co-pilot to talk to ATC. By now, my head is somewhat clearing and I asked the pilot how long it had been since he had last been in the sim and maintaining currency, etc., and what else he was typerated on. What do you mean? He says, All the Boeing. I love the Boeing. And then I asked him what he thought of hand flying versus automation and what he least liked about his airline's uh, standard operating procedures, et cetera. The conversation didn't go very well. When he dropped me off, I said, Dude, you know, eventually you're going to get caught out if someone asks you why you would maintain 250 knots below 10,000 feet in your Uber, right? Silence. <laughs> Anyway, to all those Uber pilots out there, we salute you for making my ride home much more uh, more entertaining than I could have possibly imagined. Should I give him a five-star rating?
4: <laughs> a for effort, yes. although not really.
2: <laughs> he says, I need Miami Ricks number next time I book a cab. Love the show, guys. Much Uber love from Scottish Stewart in Edmonton, Canada. And he, he sent a, uh, included a, a photo that he took and I can't believe it's already been three years now. He says, Hey, Captain Jeff, when we met at ATL three years ago this week, still one of the coolest things I've done. He says, I don't know. That can't be right. Anyway, there's a picture of the two of us and, uh, mm-hmm. that that tea. great
3: picture. Yeah.
4: that's lovely.
2: Shows you how well, tall you know, uh, As soon
3: as he said 740,
4: flying the 747 for Emirates, I went, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do they have a lot of 74s? I don't think so. Yeah, that was the first clue. <laughs> like but, you know, a few Malbecs in and glasses of
2: Malbec. <laughs> one of our uh, great
3: uh, friends of the show, uh, Stephen Ivey, uh, he was an Uber driver.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm sure there are some Uber driver pilots oh, out yeah. there.
2: There are. Legit I'm pilots.
4: Sure. Just not this guy.
2: Not this guy. No. He, <laughs> um, Stu knew enough... Way more than uh, uh, most your average person about aviation <laughs> and knew this guy was blowing smoke up his Scottish <laughs> kilt. <laughs> Love it. I was going to say skirt, but uh, they call them kilts. All right. And then uh, finally, I know we're right at uh, three hours, but we're going to keep going uh, because I want to make sure that we uh, get this in from, uh, from good. Connie. Sir?
3: Yes, good. Go All ahead. right.
2: Uh, Connie, uh, is Connie checking in from California? Uh, she's part of the, uh, Northern California APGers. Um, I was just thinking back, uh, to this time last year at Oshkosh, it was my first visit to air venture. And it was such a fun experience to see everybody at the live show next to the APG RV. My, how things have changed in a year. I hope everyone is weathering this crazy time okay. I'm currently working on projects from home and keeping up with this podcast and others when I go out on local hikes. Miami Rick, it's nice to hear you're back on the show. I started listening to ABG around episode 200, not too long before you made your initial departure. Your experience and perspective is appreciated, and your time away has only enhanced this. I was listening to the episode of Airplane Geeks that you were on a few weeks ago, a weeks ago talking about air cargo, and I really enjoyed it. As an aviation enthusiast, I especially admire the grandeur and utility of very large aircraft, including cargo and transport types. I think it's awesome that you flew not just the 747, but the Dreamlifter. I am fascinated by the unique features of this and other specialty transport planes like the Airbus Beluga, the Aerospace Lines Super Guppy the ATL-98 Carver, and others. This is me speaking an aside. I think I've never heard of an ATL-98 Carver, so I looked it up on Wikipedia and included a little photo. Uh, uh,
3: I've flown in one of those. Have you? Yeah, when I was a kid. Wow. Uh, British, a, Island, British air fairies used funny to fly them. you want to be looking?
4: Seven, uh, you get a
3: car in the front. You open the yeah. front and you drive your car in. And then you sit in the back as a passenger. My dad huh. took me to, uh, I think we're to Amsterdam or somewhere.
2: And you take your car with you. Yeah. It's a uh, Douglas DC-4 based Got air this. ferry conversion. <laughs> uh, so unpressurized and uh, ATL yeah, stands for noisy too. aviation traders, I guess, limited. Um, capacity of generally 22 passengers in a rear cabin and five cars loaded up in the front.
0: There you
2: go. Um, yeah, and it looks like... As uh, Captain Nick said, it looks very much like that big, giant hump of a 747 in the front. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking, that's, that's neat. I never, I've never seen nor heard of that thing. Anyway, um, let's see. Nick, I feel like there is potential for a plane tale or two out of this topic. The history and development of some of these more peculiar airframes and interesting cargo-related tales. Perhaps Rick has suggestions. I was interested to hear the bit about the JAL DC-8 with a load of cattle going down a few episodes back. I had found a brief mention of that story on the internet a while back, but I couldn't find it again when I went to look for it later. What an odd and tragic occurrence. I've included a picture of myself in front of a mini guppy I came across a few years ago at the Tillamook Air Museum in Oregon, as well as a picture of us from Oshkosh 2019, you all stay well, stay safe, and I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Connie. And uh, great photo of um, of all of us in front of the, uh, yeah, the APG hungry. RV. <laughs> Party Central, as some have referred to it. <laughs> I think uh, Glenn Tower was on um, the uh, uh, Uncontrolled Airspace podcast mm-hmm. uh, not too long ago, and, and he was talking about uh, the— uh, party central uh, rv (laughs) last year anyway all right that is it Uh, just a few minutes past our what we shoot for three-hour shows but uh that's okay i'm i'm glad we were able to get all the uh feedback feedback knocked out and uh, if you want to learn more about our show please go to our website airlinepilotguy.com and uh, you can check out uh, more information about the crew, the community, which is the most important thing about this whole APG thing. Uh, there's a calendar, an APG uh, community calendar on there as well. Uh, the Plane Tales uh, page where uh, Nick puts uh, more information about the individual Plane Tales. And don't forget that you can subscribe to Plane Tales as a separate podcast. And, uh, it's a, uh, and make sure that you, uh, you know, review it and uh, rate it. With five stars, at least. I guess that's the most you can do.
4: Good reviews only.
2: Yes, good reviews only.
4: Send your not-so-good reviews to I'm Offended. At- <laughs> yes,
2: please do. It'll be fun to read them. And uh, let's see. So lots, lots of other good stuff there on that website. And we're also, you know, you got to be, if you're in new media, you got to be on the social media
4: gotta be there so we'll see you on twitter at apg crew is our handle you can find our individual twitter information pinned to the top of that page good place to check out when we're or to look for when we're going to be recording a live show uh any last minute changes to that time uh you can also find us on facebook facebook.com airline pilot guy and the instagram at apg crew
2: absolutely and now let's see we're also on slack so let me turn the volume up see if we can hear Hello? Hello? Slack.
7: Okay, but I'm dripping wet.
2: That's okay. Just make sure you use one of the towels over there. All right, he's going to tell us. Tell us about Slack.
7: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see
2: you in Slack. Thanks, Halal. And make sure you dry off really well, please. Jeff, you've got to try these towels. I, they're my towels. He likes them. He does. <laughs> we love Halal. And this is the point where we thank Liz, our producer-director, but we can't thank her because she wasn't here with us today. We missed you, Liz. She's enjoying a vacation up in a lakeside cottage. And uh, look forward to, look forward to having her back in a couple of weeks. And with that, until next time, wishing all of you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care. God bless.
4: Cheers,
0: y'all. Bye, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Good day.
6: such a good, good pilot
0: Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats
6: Airline, not a guy I fly
4: I'm always flying, I just don't have the time, but I can land this old
6: plane, I can land it just fine, airline, not a guy, I fly a major, airline.